Um, hey, what's going on, everybody? It's time for the Thursday after Thursday afternoon, just before Friday Monday morning podcast, and uh, a very rare video edition where I actually have a guest. I figure with the new normal, and the pandemic, and all that, I would bring somebody that I've just been such a huge fan of for almost ten years. We have uh, Casey Matthew from uh, from the Gas Monkey Garage Show, whatever the hell it was called, Fast and Loud, and his own place, uh, Casey's Paint Shop. Just south of Fort Worth, Texas? Yep. That's where you're at. Um, all right. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us on. Um, all right. I got to ask a number of questions before uh, we get going because I am <laughs> a uh, – I don't know what when I got the car bug. It, I always liked them, but just later in life, I think it was moving out here to the West Coast and then just seeing all of these cars – either that I wanted in high school or some of them that I drove because things last so long out here. Oh, yeah. I saw like a Pontiac T1000, which was Pontiac's answer to the Chevy Chevette. I've seen a couple of those weird ones. Like some of the most random, like who cared about that car that much to keep that thing going? Like, it, do you remember the Chevy Citation? I don't remember Citation, but I learned how to drive on a Chevette. All right. Well, the Citation was one of the shittiest, just weirdest looking cars. It didn't know what it wanted to be. It was sort of a sedan, sort of a hatchback. And my buddy had one and the radio was literally turned sideways. And but the numbers were still like that. So it was somebody. The rumor was that when they designed the car, they forgot the radio. So they just turned it to the side and slammed it in. So wherever it would fit. Yeah, wherever, wherever it would fit. So anyways, through that. And getting into cars and buying an old truck myself, I started watching on Discovery all these channels. And then uh, Fast and Loud came out. And I became a huge fan of just the whole process, everything from haggling for the car all the way to when they finally take it to you, which was to paint the car. So I was wondering, um, I have a million questions. I guess I would just start with, how did you get start started with one of the coolest jobs, I think, ever, like restoring cars and and, and painting cars and all of that type of stuff. Well, I grew up in it. So my dad owns a shop and still runs it today. So he uh, did more collision with a little bit of restoration mixed in there. And uh -huh. then as things progressed and my passion towards the restoration and the painting, you know, grew, the collision world just wasn't for me because it was kind of one of those things, you know, you get in a wreck and you need your car by Monday. So it was like, you did the best job you could in the time you could. And then my OCD was kicking in and I wanted to do better. Well, then I was taking too long for my dad. We'd argue and, you know, so I moved on. So I found another job and then uh, lied my way into a painter's job. Nobody took me serious as a painter because your dad's not really, yeah, my dad said I can paint good. You know, nobody takes that shit serious, right? So worked my way up and then, you know, got to the point where my side work that I was doing was making more than my job that I was working. So I had to make the decision was I going to venture out on my own and do my own thing or stay working for somebody else? And um, was that when you were over at, uh, was that when you were with your dad or? Uh, that was, that was a couple of years afterwards. Cause I jumped around from a couple of different body shops after that, trying to make more money and go to like bigger shops. So like I worked at a Cadillac dealership for a while and that kind uh -huh. of thing doing that. Um, so we decided to start our own shop, uh, open Casey's paint shop, I, it's been 17 years ago now, I guess. And oh, so uh, you've had it that long. Oh yeah. I've had it before gas monkey. 
So, so get, uh, so Gas Monkey was your sort of your side gig while you were getting this 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 paint thing going, your own paint shop going. Well, we were going for a while. So I I started the shop, did well, and then did really bad. As I started learning, the business is very hard. You got to put almost as much into running it as doing the work. And all I want to do is do the work. And I wasn't running the business side, so we we started going broke real quick. Um, pulled back out, um, bought a house, sold everything that I had. I had a Cadillac 49 sedanette, had a Super Duty we built, and a couple other things. Sold all the cars, bought a house, built a shop, went back to work for another shop, mm-hmm. and uh, did that for a while. And then ended up getting burned out, and decided I was going to go work for Coca Cola and paint cars only. I was like, I'm just going to paint for people. I'm not going to do any builds. We're not going to do anything. And um, kind of got in the rhythm of working with Gas Monkey a little bit in there. This was at my other shop prior to closing it down and moving to the house. And uh, I painted a couple cars for Richard. I've known Aaron since we were in uh, high school. So that yeah, kind of went back. off the beard. That was like amazing. I know. Dude, amazing. I haven't seen that since high school. It blew my mind. So it, you forget <laughs> like how he's got such a jawline, man. You don't see it whenever he's got that. You almost forget. It's been like 10 years. Hey, just out of curiosity, why is there never enough time? You guys always seem like you're up against it. I know part of it's the drama when they put on a reality show, but I just feel like you're building these cars for people that obviously have money. And it's always like, I got to get this car done by Thursday. And I always think, or else what? The guy doesn't want it anymore? I mean, yeah. you're working on the thing for fucking a year or whatever, how long it is. Yeah. Like, what is it about, like, when you, you were doing your shop? Because I think there's a lot of people that have gotten inspired by guys like you, and they want to start their own shop. So when you, what were some of the pitfalls? Like, you're like, okay, I'm going to paint cars. I know what I'm going to charge. And then you're painting cars. You're busy as hell. But on the other side, you're looking like, holy shit, I'm going broke. Like, how, how did that happen that for this work and you, you you weren't like you weren't charging enough money or it might yeah and i think where i learned my lesson the most was quoting jobs it's extremely hard to quote a job for somebody when you're restoring a car because over the course of time they change their mind or you come into a fork in the road and it's like hey you know we ran into this problem we've got to address it do we go this way or this way and when you quote something the customer's got that number in your head so if you tell them yeah you're looking at 20 grand hypothetically right and then you get to 20 grand and they're wondering why their car's not done. It's like, well, you just six months ago, you added $30,000 worth of shit and just, you know, you up your budget, but didn't allow to pay me anymore. So we finally broke through. And as we kind of grew with the show and talking to other shops, realized that that's the worst thing you can do is just bid a job. And, and really nobody in the industry that I would, and by no means am I discrediting anybody, but I would say the bigger reputable shops, charge by the hour. So we're $75 an hour. And at that point, I don't care how many times you change your mind, you right. know, you know, then you can decide you want this motor. Well, I, you know, I got a bonus check. I want to do this motor. Well, then it's not in their head. It's like, well, it's just an easy swap. You know, Jay, I was gonna say just out of curiosity, what kind of person thinks like mid job that, that they're going to not only change the engine, they're going to add a bigger one, more powerful. That's not going to be more money. And then what if you already ordered that other engine? It's oh. on the way. You, what you, are you supposed to do with that? Just take this. I don't even know how much those fucking things weigh. But just, well, I think you just take it back. It's like we've got it out of the box and mounted it, and I don't want it anymore. Well, what the, 
I'm not going to eat the parts, you know, but they think you can just magically put it back in the wrapper and take it back to the store. And they're going to be like, oh, cool. You installed it. Yeah, we'll take it back. Just out of curiosity, because you live in Texas and there's so much room out there. Do you have enough room to go for a walk on your property when people do shit like that to cool off? We just so, shoot guns and blow yeah. stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah. How did you... Um, um, I'm also guessing our, another thing that I always, I seen that I gravitated towards what you do. And if I, from the fact I thought you were really funny, um, on the show was you seemed like you were also a Ford guy where, right. you know, you, you have that, that amazing, that Frankenstein F100 that you had. And then you had a car that I'd never heard of. It was a Ford custom line, which yep. kind of looked like Ford's answer, maybe to like the Bel Air. Yeah. Or it was the custom line. They're all kind of like. Fairlane based, but then they had a couple different models, just like the Bel Air had, you know, had a uh, Bel Air 210, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So and the 210 was the entry level, and then the Bel Air was the higher one. The top. So, like in my version of the car, custom line was kind of mid grade. They had a main line, and then they had the Crown Vic, which the Crown Vic was the Bel Air of Ford. So, just mine was kind of, of Has anybody done sort of the mob family? tree of of cars where what i what i've been told by car guys is back in the day you know everybody now will make an entry level car like okay. mercedes will have a car like a college student could afford and back in the day if you drove a mercedes that meant you made it so like right with gm cadillac was the top then it was like buick then it was like something like oldsmobile pontiac and then down to chevy is there any way to find because I remember as a kid, you know, when that was starting to get phased out, but I, I still remember with like the Camaro, there was the Rally Sport, then there was the Berlinetta, and then there was the Z28, the Firebird had the, the regular Firebird, the Formula 400, and then the Trans Am. Um, is there anything out there where I, if you're sort of a nerd for that stuff like myself that you can read up on? Because I always get confused like with saying like a DeSoto or Packard, were they part of Ford, GM, or Chrysler? Were they their own thing? Right. Man, there's so many car companies that have been out there, manufacturers that have come and gone in the past too, like Packard. Like that was an awesome place. I've been to the Packard plant up in uh, Detroit, and that's just that's a really neat place. It's in shambles now, unfortunately, but yeah. I mean, all those. I'm sure there is. You know, I've never looked into it. Just you kind of zone in on what you're you're hot about. You know, and with us, it's Ford trucks. So um, I haven't really gone down the road of doing that much much research. I guess as far as like the tree of all right so you are you still are you just painting strictly right now just painting no we do full restorations so you oh, so you do all of that stuff so do you yeah. do all of that too and then paint it yeah i've got three guys that work for me full-time uh well two guys and a girl that work for me full-time and i've got a part-time helper at the first of the year i actually um shifted the uh, direction i guess you could say with the shop and and let the entire shop go and mm -hmm. then refresh because i was kind of losing the the passion for it getting a little beat down the way things were going i was having a hard time doing some things i was moving the shops to construction and everything else so now we're in our new shop hired some guys that have been around for a while and uh been buddies they kind of hung around and did work with me but never worked for me type thing and then keenan came back um so we've got a really good crew now but we do full restorations from from ground up the only thing we don't do is interior work well, I know in stand-up, whenever I get burned out, which does, you know, happens, like you know, some of it's just because of the travel, and then other times it's just, you know, 
your, your act just slows down and you're just like, God, I'm so sick of these jokes. And then you feel this guilt because you got the responsibility for the act. So you got to, for the, for the crowd, you got to uh, figure out a way to get excited. Are, there, the are there cars, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but are there cars that roll in where you're like, oh God, I got to redo another one of these? Like, uh, Yeah, there are. <laughs> I kind of found, I felt like when I was watching some of those shows that almost like a hacky topic for a stand-up, I kind of felt like Mustangs were, were, were done, like everybody had one of those as opposed yeah, to- done those and Camaros and everything, yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like all those muscle cars, because I've, I've, I've had a, two cars built, and um, one I'm, I'm finishing right now, so I don't want to tell people what it is, but like, I was sitting there nervous to call the guy. I got this thing built for my dad. He had a 59 four-door hardtop, uh, Chevy Impala, white with red interior. And um, it was a really rare car as far as it didn't have that, that sort of fastback. It was more of a straight and went down like that. And when I called my guy up, like he almost did a backflip because he was like, oh my God, I would love to work on that car. And I, I kind of got the vibe from him. Anything but yet another Mopar, another thing that isn't a Shelby, trying to be a Shelby. It seems right. like, um, I kind of got, I got to be honest with you, I kind of got bored watching some of that Meekum thing because we got another Roadrunner coming up. It's just like, how many times can I watch the same? Uh, Everybody makes them the same. They, they clone them all. You know, they'll, they'll clone the 500s. You know, it's not a real car, but it looks like one and, and all that stuff too. So you kind of get bored of seeing it. But as a builder for me, I mean, I like topping the last build so right. trucks all together i'm in on any truck just about what, what's your favorite uh what's some of your favorite builds you've done recently um i'm extremely happy with my green truck we just rebuilt um that was wait what what was wrong with that thing you gave me a ride in that and i don't think the camera worked i was sitting no. there trying to be cool just going like i know this guy doesn't want to kill him kill me or kill himself you went down that, that road when I was out in Dallas. I was doing a show, and I got yeah. to ride in that now famous truck. And you got me by the end. I had my feet up on the dashboard. Like, I mean, that your truck's faster than that? Yeah. That, when you rode in, it probably did about 600 or so at the wheels, and now it does a little over 1,000 at the wheels. But, it, but it's a different truck. Before, it was just... Can you explain that to listeners and to me at the wheels? Because I know you lose some horsepower with the whole yeah. combustion going through the So whole there's a crank horsepower, which was, is horsepower measured at the flywheel. And then you lose a certain percentage of horsepower at the crank by the time you go through the transmission, drive shaft, rear end, and through the wheels. So putting a 1,000 of the wheels is probably somewhere in 1,150 crank horsepower. So... It's a substantial amount of power, but it's full chassis built. I mean, it's I I built it for say, what, did you what did you have to modify on that truck so when you stomped on it, it didn't literally just flip over? <laughs> it uh, getting the power to weight ratio was was hard. Getting the weight ratio of the car is hard too, especially on a truck because you want to try to get it as equally balanced as you can. So if you have all the weight in the front or all the weight in the back, you go to hit the brakes and it weighs too much in the back, you can push into corners. So a good 50-50 weight ratio is always nice. So what, what do you do like on a truck where like so much of the weight is up front, the back end's just a, a bed. What do you have to put back there? We try to put a big fuel cell in the back. So like my truck's got a custom built tank in the back behind the rear end so that we get as much 
weight on the back side of the axle as possible, just like the motor's usually up front on the front driveline center. So move that back, batteries to the back, that kind of thing. So when you start to get lower on fuel, do you find the thing gets more squirrely or is it not that noticeable? It's not super noticeable. Um, not, not so much that you would be worried about it, I guess you could say. You basically have to be like a test pilot in aviation. You put, you put this monster engine in there. Now, so when you go down the street, you obviously don't want to screw up what you just built. So what do you go at, like 60%? Oh, no, I give it. I give it all of it. Put <laughs> it to the floor. <laughs> I built it to go all out, so it's just everything she's got every time I play with it. I don't want to jinx you, but have you ever taken somebody's car out to 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 test something like that and ended up uh, hitting something or getting into a, uh, an act? Never. No, but I'll call you when I do and, and cuss you out for sure. For oh no, no, I don't. Want, I don't want to do that. But, um, <laughs> All right, so I got to ask this. This is another uh, fanboy question here. How do you do a burnout if you've never done one and you don't end up on YouTube as that guy who thinks he's spinning his wheels, but he's actually burning out his clutch? Just smoking the clutch. Yeah. Uh, I guess it kind of depends. You know, is it a manual transmission or an automatic? It's an automatic, just hit the brake and the gas at the same time and put it to the floor and if you got enough power, you'll break it loose. If you don't, you just look like a chump. And then mail transmission. Right, so on, on a stick, how do you do it on a stick? Because uh, I'm afraid to. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm gonna burn out the clutch of my truck. It's a, it's more difficult because you you've got a what they call a heel toe. So you got to use your heel to hold the brake, and then use your toe to to work the gas while you're working the clutch. You still got to kind of do the same thing. It's just. Oh, so it is the same thing. Yeah, or you can just rev it to the moon and dump the clutch and slam on the brake. I've seen guys do that. Do you see their car and they'll jump five feet and then stop? And then just depends on how you want to look. Like my truck's got a line lock on it. So if I were to go to the track, you press the brake, activate the solenoid. It holds all the pressure to the front wheels and releases the back. And then you can just let the clutch out and it'll go. And then you just wow. flip the switch off and it releases the solenoid and gives your, you know, releases the brakes at that point. All right, another question I've always wanted to ask you. Do you what do you think about wraps? Are those, uh, so like in the paint world, when they look at that, because there's some pretty crazy wraps and you look at them and you think oh, yeah. you spent all this money, took the car apart. Um, what is in the paint community? What are you guys thinking about those things? I think they have their place. I think on some of the newer cars that if you want, maybe obviously, for advertising, they have their place. You know, you wrap your car with whatever it is, you know, that for right. advertising. But, you know, there's some things that you can do with some of those wraps that won't hurt the paint, you know, or versus in value too, right? So you wrap your car, but you want to get rid of it in five years, but you've changed the color, you devalue it, you know, because everybody wants that clean Carfax and they'll wonder why the car's wrapped. So I've seen a lot of these guys, especially exotic cars that want to change the color to be a little different than the other guy that they'll wrap them in matte colors and pearlescent films and whatever. And I mean, it, I mean, they don't bother me. I mean, they're expensive. I can't believe how much it costs, you know, some of those things. I know. I just, uh, right, before this, nuts. right before the pandemic, uh, I, I put a clear wrap on my Jaguar just because sometimes it sits in the sun and I didn't want the paint to fade and all of that type of stuff. So it's still the same color. Mm. Um, but uh, it's, it's kind of amazing now, though, where if, if somebody were to sort of rub up against it, they can't scratch the paint. 
So that's like a cool thing. That's when good. you do one of those custom paint jobs, uh, are there way more coats than what, what the factory uh, paint was? Or does it all depend on the customer, what, what they're looking for? We pretty much do the same thing on every car. So we'll, what we call file it and check for highlights through the car. So what your eye might see is flat, you know, when you put a light next to it and you'll see the, the ripples in the paint because of the light. So usually we'll run lights down the side of the car and make sure that when we wet it down, it's all smooth. So when we put clear coat on it, we'll file that down the same way. And we usually do between five and six coats of clear on a car. But by the time we get done wet sanding it to buff, it's probably brought it down to about two, maybe two and a half coats of clear. Oh. It's so much off. And more clear doesn't necessarily- You're building that up to give you to, to, to fix all those imperfections. Yeah, we can move the line around and everything like that. So it helps the fact that you put so much on, but aftermarket clear coats are very, I guess, advanced in a way too, right? So you, it doesn't take as much clear for the UV protection as people would think. And that's just the misconception. People think, oh, the more, the better. Not necessarily. The more film builds you get, just like anything else, right? Like if you, um, the more film build, the more brittle it can get too. So you put 10 coats of clear on a car and get a rock chip, it can blister easier than two coats because it won't have the flex. Because you'll hit something. Now, is this all stuff that you've just learned through the years and people drive the car back and then you're like, ah, fuck, I got to do this all over again? I kind of I tech out a little bit on that. So I'm really, uh, we use a BASF paints. So I like talking to the reps and the guys that are the chemists that are working with it. So I, I try to stay on the leading edge of all of that to know like what is a good film build. And we check our film build as we're painting too. So we'll know if we put on too much or if we're going to have problems because more uh, more coats of clear you do, if the bottom doesn't dry before the top, the top's what they call like a skim over, then the bottom side will actually react and give you solvent pop and can ruin your paint job. So, and what is the technique when you go to spray it on? It's not like some kid just coloring in. When, when you got to be like a certain distance, how do you stop it from like dripping and like? Practice. Like, huh? <laughs> practice? practice, yeah. I use good guns too. Did um, your dad make you like, I don't know, have like a piece of plywood and just work? I mean, he must have had you do that before he actually had you. Like I, what was the training before you actually sat down? I'm thinking like a barber where they have like a balloon and they like make you do the straight razor. Right, straight razor Mine was more let me fail. I think I learn more from my mistakes than I do being taught. I I learn a lot better when somebody just lets me do it and mess up. Because mm -hmm. I you know, I almost feel like I get nervous when people are trying to teach you too much because it's hard to process it. So over the years, I've learned a lot by screwing up than I have talking to people. You know, you take in the information, you read all the text sheets. You kind of know what you're supposed to do, but those are generally shot at like 70 degrees, right? Well, sometimes we're 95 or 100 degrees in my booth, so that tech sheet really doesn't mean shit. You know, it's like you. So how, how do you have to adjust that? Most of the times, like a drag. So we'll put a coat of clear on, and then we can fingerprint it. Like we'll wait till it starts stringing a little bit, and then we'll put our second one on. And then, depending on the temperature and the humidity outside, we'll add a little bit of time per coat. So like my first coat, between my first and second coat might be 15 minutes, but between my fourth and fifth might be 45 minutes or an hour. Cause you're trying to let it gas out, you know, get the um, solvents out of it. So you don't entrap them underneath everything. That's, that's what blows my mind. Like people just think, oh, you paint cars like this. 
you know, nothing to it. Like you're coloring in something and like the level of science that is involved in this. And then also, I also love people that start their own businesses and I follow you on Instagram. So I'm always seeing you, you're going to like these, these car shows, uh, recently at you, I, I think the last one I saw you going to like orange beach or something in, in Alabama. Was that right? Yeah. So how, how important is that for people starting off with like a shop to, to have, um, you know, to be at all of these shows, to, I would assume that if there's a local car show, if you're starting out, you're small, you want to be there, set up a booth, meet people. Yeah. And then it's almost, I swear, it's so much like comedy where you just start in your town, get to know all the club owners. And then all of a sudden you're, you're trying to like go national. How many of those do you hit as far as, uh, on a, during a normal year? Uh, 10 to 12, we try to do maybe one a month, maybe more depending on the distance of them. You know, the farthest we've gone away, um, what is it? Uh, Didn't you go but, all the way out to Jacksonville one time or something? Yeah, we've gone to Des Moines. We've got, we've gone a lot of places. And I mean, there's, there's good and bad with all of that. Right. So, I mean, we're, we're booked, we're busy. So if you do too many shows, I feel like it can almost be just as bad for you to go out and say you're too busy. It's like, well, don't go to Casey. He's got too much shit going on. So I think there's got to be equal balance of how much you want to put yourself out there. Because if you advertise for work and work and work, and then you just keep telling everybody you can't do it, sooner or later you'll notice the guy that's too busy to get to anybody's stuff. Right. So it, it's been a really weird way of trying to keep, because if we go and advertise or we do a lot on social media, we get a lot of emails. Well, the more emails you get and you keep telling them, hey, we're, 18 months or 12 months or 24 months out, most people are instant gratification seekers. So they're going to go to the next shop. So it, it's, I'm, I guess I'm more looking towards like a steady group of people to, to do work for. And so we do a lot of work. We have a lot of rework. So like cars will go out and then the customer, they like the build process. So they'll send another car. So we kind of got some clients that just build one car after another and they just keep doing which those are great. Right. Um, but advertising is good and bad. You know, you, I mean, I'm sure you've been there too. It's like you do too much. It's almost too much. You do too little. Then you're you know what's funny? Your I, I had a dream last night that I, I was watching myself on an interview that I didn't remember doing. And I had a panic attack. Like, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm putting myself out there too much. Cause that, that is definitely, a thing in my business. It's weird with like podcasting because this is just sort of like a weekly show type of thing. So even right. though I'm putting myself out there with that, it's not the same thing I, I feel anyway, as far as like, if, if you do, um, I have a thing in, in my business where it, I try to always avoid ever going on a show unless I have something, there's a reason I'm there. Like, you know, I got five lines in a movie. They want me to come on and sell the movie. You know, obviously I, I got to do that. But like um, that stuff where I call it extra TV, where it's like, hey, you want to be, not like I've ever been offered this, but like, um, you, you know, if you've already been out there and you did the whole promotional circuit and then like uh, one of these game shows, hey, we're doing a uh, podcast host, you know. Hey, like dude, or whatever, you know. It, not like you're flattered. It's like you want to be asked, but like that's one of those things where you really have to sit there and think going like, all right. Is this going to be like a cool thing? You know, I go on there, anything I win, it's for charity. So that's a good thing. But is it, I just don't want to have that person at home going, if I have to look at this fucking guy's 
goddamn bald head again, which is everything that everybody's now going to write underneath this. Uh, you almost want people to want more of you instead of always seeing you. Like, how can we don't see more, uh, you know, this, or why don't we see more of that? Yeah. Instead of like, oh yeah, he's just always there. Yeah. Yeah, and that's he's that's, on the next thing. We'll see him next week on another show. You know, it's like you want to be almost seeked out more than you want to be just the norm. Yeah, I've learned a lot about that watching how Chris Rock does it and the Beastie Boys back in the day, watching them where they would they could play the game so good. I mean, Chris, I would see just because I was a comedian, but I was saying just as far as like seeing him in a movie or TV, he they they had like that perfect timing of of there's there's a thing where you want them to like, man, where are they? And then, but if it goes too far this way, then they forget about you. And they always seem to know right when, like, oh shit, they're back. I better do something. <laughs> special, all right. Or like the Beastie Boys dropped a new album and then they would do like a tour. And then when the tour was done, they would come on Letterman, they would play whatever the song, Sabotage back in the day. And then they would do the tour and then just gone. And then we right. like, have four years, right? Where you, right as you started to think, are they going to put out something else? It was bam. There was the next one in the, uh, the next tour. So, um, you want to be known as more of the elite, you know, it's like you pick the right gigs and that's, we do that with the shop. Like, not that we like tell people we don't want to work on their cars, but I do this because I want to do it. It's a passion. Yeah. I don't want to get burned out on it. So I want to do cars for people that have the same passion that I do about the car. I don't want to do it for some guy that just is, just has money, doesn't know what to do with it. So he just tells you to build something, doesn't really care about the car, doesn't have any plans for the car. It's going to sit in his garage and nobody sees it. It doesn't do me any good to put all of my heart and soul into something that's going to sit in somebody's garage and it's never seen. Like I get it made money, but that's not advertising. You know, no, so if you're not, doing big cars, you want them to be out and be seen. Yeah, that's another thing I don't get about making is when they'll be like, this is an all original matching number, blah, blah, blah. And the car's like 50 years old and it has 2,000 miles on it. And I always think like, what was, what is the purpose of owning that car? There's, there's a Mercedes Benz. I always forget what it literally looks like. Remember that show Speed Racer? Oh, yeah. Way back in the day, it has like a, it has a really long hood. Long nose, yeah. Long nose. And you're literally riding like you need goggles. The like Kanye West had one, it, it, or I don't know if he still has it, one of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen. And they had one of those for sale on one of these shows. And it was like, you know, like that car's like, like at this point, like 10 years old, 12 years old, however long they made them. And this thing had like 1,500 miles on it. And I'm just thinking like, the car was like a million bucks or something crazy like that, some crazy astronomical number. And it's like, you never even took it out to like the track. Cause I get like, okay, I'm going to spend a million dollars on a freaking car and I'm going to drive down the street and some asshole in a Prius, me, is going to fucking T-bone me and then be like, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, I kind of get that, but uh, I've never understood. Um, I hate to keep going back to the show you were on, but like I remember when uh, they went out and they bought a, um, a Ferrari that had a bent frame. And I distinctly remember Aaron or somebody saying like, uh, uh, F40. yeah, when you buy a Ferrari, this is what it should look like. Like you should drive this thing. I mean, obviously you don't want to wreck it, but in a way I actually respected the person that wrecked it more than the person that keeps it pristine, owns it for 20 years and then shows up and it's got 800 miles on it. It, um, it irks me on that kind of thing because it's like, it, these cars are no investment. I mean, not for, 
like I could see like the crazy Bentleys and one of one and the, a collection of, you know, these are the, they only made three. I, those have a certain point, I guess that they, they might keep going up or whatever. Right. Um, with me, none of that really matters. I guess, you know, some people have their niche, right? Like they want that car. That's what they're after. Somebody could bring me a matching numbers, one of one 69 Copo. Hey, I want you to put it on a chassis, big brakes, yank the motor. Fuck yeah. I'd yank all that shit out and throw it in the scrap bin. It doesn't matter to me. Like I'm all about. Now, how did you get to that? Because I always, um, like with my truck, you know, I mean, I used to make money in this business, but when I had money, there was definitely a temptation to do to it a little bit. I mean, not what you did. I mean, I, I couldn't, I don't have the skill set to drive yours, but like, there was definitely a, there was some things that I maybe wanted to do to make it a little bit faster, but I was, uh, I bought the truck. It was just so all original. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to mess with it. And I, and it shifts on the column, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. And everything was going to, I was like, is there any way to <laughs> five speed overdrive on the column? There's six speed manual on the column. Yeah. It's shifting up and down the whole time. That'd be awesome. Coming closer to you or you're like, you got on the other <laughs> side of the windshield. You guys are like, yeah, man, I don't know if I could do that. So uh, is that something you always had, just not a sentimental person, or you just know how to make it better? Or I guess I'm sentimental in the fact of, like, I, I've had my green truck since I was, like, I was late 14, early 15 years old when I got that green truck to start with. So, like, I've never gotten rid of it, you know, and the title on it. It was in my mom's name because I was too young to have a title, you know, in my name, and then it's – my name now so it was like my mom's name that was sold to me so like that's sentimental but as far as like the parts or whatever like i want to get in my vehicles any of them and enjoy them to the nines so i feel like like people are like oh i'm in the model a club and i've got this old model a it's like i i get the nostalgic of that in a way but it's like you can do 30. you can't stop it's hard to steer you got no heat it's like how enjoyable is it really to drive around in that Right. Where me, I went to the track yesterday with my truck to the road course and I'm out running brand new GT350s, running with brand new C8 vets and out running Porsches. Like, that's cool shit. Yeah, that's cool shit. Like, going down the road what's sweating because like the guy's Sorry, what's it like after the race when you go up to the guy with the Shelby or something like that and you're in the You just pop collars on. You walk by and just keep walking like they, they look at you like damn it because they see an old truck they think i got a brand new porsche i got a brand new vet i'm gonna kill everybody out here i just got passed by a truck what the hell you know and then they're pissed you just win like mentally you don't say anything you just drive off and leave and let leave them thinking but those are the kind of guys that come to you how do i make mine as fast as yours and then you make money so yeah. I went out there. I would think not only you have the power, but and then I would think like because you don't have all that shit in the back, is is that what keeps it lighter? It's full chassis, so it's a roadster shop chassis. It's all C C six Corvette geometry on the front, so it handles like a brand new car. I mean, it's it's absolutely absurd. I mean, the back tires are three forty five. It's all racing tires all the way around. Um, what can I do with my truck? Because when I take a turn at like even like ten miles an hour. I literally have to reach under the seat <laughs> to hold you. so I don't slide into the door. Uh, man, start by uh, lowering that dude a little bit. Those pictures you sent me, it's 
like that far off the, I mean, yeah. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was four wheel drive. I wasn't sure. <laughs> I have a thing with uh, lowered trucks. I mean, if they look like yours, that's one thing. But like, um, I just feel like it's a truck. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. like, it should be a truck. So there's nothing I can do. There's no sway bar or, or update the, the. You could add a sway bar to the front of it. I think uh, I think those trucks had an option of a sway bar. Maybe. Eh, well, they're twin I beam. I don't know if they are or not. I'll look. One of the few things I actually know how to do on on a. I just knew how to do basic maintenance. Um, but like, if I go to change the oil, I don't know. You had this on yours. Mine's a '68. The, the, the drain plug on the oil plan, so it's right over the cross number. this piece that, that's like part of the frame. So it's going to, all the oil is going to come down and go all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it, it killed me because when I got the truck, one of the first things I went out, I bought a, uh, an oil filter wrench down at the thing. And I was all excited. Like, you know, I was going to dress like Fonzie with my little onesie. <laughs> you get under this thing and basically just change the oil. And um, I was talking to a buddy of mine. I was like, why the fuck would they design it like he said that's just how it was back then one one where was doing the chassis wasn't talking to this guy and then they just put yeah. the shit together and that's how that's how it ended up being yeah um all right i gotta uh i gotta ask this too okay so i started to get on to the topic of uh you know oh my god i don't i'm gonna paint another one of these i could literally do this with my eyes closed what are your top five favorite cars that you ever worked on, be it like, cause you always wanted to work on it, or it was kind of like, you know, when I bought the car in from my dad, where they were just like, I've never, who the fuck brings a four door 59 Impala in, I would love to redo this car. What, what are you, what are your top five? Um, there's, you know, we blew through them so fast on the show, it was hard to really even keep track. I couldn't even name all the cars that we did on the show. There was one in the very beginning. Oh, by the way, did you guys really build them that fast? Yes. So we didn't sleep much in the beginning. We were in proving grounds in a way, right? So if it was a single episode show, it was uh, two weeks. We had two weeks to build the car. And if it was a double episode, like if it was like, see you next week, it was four weeks. So generally in the beginning, it was, you know, three, four days of fab work, five days maybe. And then it would go to me and I would paint it as fast as I possibly could. And sometimes I had help and sometimes I didn't. And we would paint them in four or five days, bring them back, do final assembly and be done with them. It was, it was terrible. But why now just out of, just because of the stupid TV show schedule, like. I think a lot of it had to do with us trying to prove that we could do it. So I think that's what made the show what it was. We set the grounds for doing things that most people would say couldn't be done or that um, said could be done and took weeks after that. So like every time we said we were gonna do something, we nailed it. And I think the show grew, um, the production company, you know, grew, you know, liked it and just kept buying episodes. So when I was working at Coke, Richard called me and said, hey, we want you to do this show with us and i was like all right i thought he was joking because i know he shot a couple pilots before trying to get a show mm -hmm. and this one stuck so i had like yeah, 24 no, it's, hours. A great, it's a great story and then the genius too of that it was called fast and loud and i'm a fan and i still call it gas monkey because yeah. they would always say that and they would sell their merch like branding guys richard's awesome at branding like he's an incredible perfect. businessman yes 
So, and I also I, like when he would do the used car salesman character. Yeah, the gimmick stuff. Like, yeah. You can just see this guy grew up in this. This is totally like in his blood. Yeah, for sure. So I had 24 hours to make the call. Woke up my wife that night. She told me I'd be crazy if I didn't take the job. Uh, went down the next morning, uh, called the guys at Coca-Cola, gave them my, told them, like, I'm not coming in, I'm quitting. They understood. It was still nuts. Uh, then worked to work worked for Richard immediately and then drove to Dallas every day for four and a half, five years or whatever it is when I worked there. And it, I mean, it was, it was cool and I don't regret it. it I missed I guess the biggest regret of the entire thing was the home, you know, missing my kids growing up because I was gone so much. Oh, that was one of my favorite episodes, but then I, was, then I knew you were leaving too. Yeah. You, just, you, you painted it at your house and you just seemed like you were totally at peace, which you don't see on the show because, you know, it's part of the drama of the show with the grind. I'm not shitting on the shop because uh, I, I think it's amazing what they do there. But you were, you were back, you know, sitting on your steps or something going, I miss my kids and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And as a comic, I was relating to that where there You're was a point, well, yeah, there was a point in my career where I got so busy and, you know, I'm selling tickets and then it, it just becomes like, well, what is the point of this? Because mm -hmm. I was like walking to do shows and I would see, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husbands and wives sitting out having dinner on a Friday night. And I was feeling these feelings of like, I would fucking love to do that right now. Yeah, And then you feel like, who the fuck am I to be thinking that as I'm walking to this comedy club where everybody bought these tickets, they, they would love to do this. So I was like, all right, I know I have an awesome job, obviously. So I need to find more of like a balance. So when you left the show to do your own paint shop or when Aaron left the show, um, I, I was like, you know, as a fan, I'm like, fuck. I want to keep seeing those guys. Their, their chemistry is amazing. But then as just as far as someone who travels and is away from home, I was actually like happy for you guys. And, um, oh, speaking of Aaron, isn't he doing like, I, I thought I saw something on the internet where he was doing something where he was going to be making uh, parts for F-100s. Am I crazy? No. So they worked on uh, like, uh, what are they called? like slick side trucks. So like early sixties. So call it like 60, what was it? 61 to four or whatever the straight what axle. What makes it slick side? I don't know what that means. That's what they kind of made like, uh, so the body lines were more swooping. So they, they're kind of known as the slick side. And then my truck and your truck are known as bump side because of the bump on the side. Oh, okay. And 73 to 79, they kind of curved in. So they call them dent sides. So they've all kind of got like square body Chevys, you know, people call them square bodies, but they were like 73 to 86 or whatever Chevy trucks. And they've all kind of got their little nicknames that people have called them. But he made a kit for those that changed the geometry, it lowered it and changed the geometry of the steering because straight axles are known for being like, you can get death wobble going on the highway. So he made some brackets and kind of bends beams and does little things in the front to get the geometry right. So you can get what going beam. down the highway. I need to know this because I'm sure like my like a death wobble. So with a straight axle truck, the steering's connected and it's all on one. So you kind of get to where the wheels will jump off of each other. If you don't have the, uh, the right angle. So the more, what is it? Caster you get, you know, like when you turn your wheel and then you let go in your car and it kind of corrects itself Yeah. It's because your center line is laid back and that causes the wheels to correct themselves. Well, whenever the caster is too straight up, 
you can get to where that wheel isn't being forced straight. They're kind of, they'll get where they're jumping around on you. So he changes the caster angle or the- uh, uh, that's, that's beyond my- uh... <laughs> Well, you know what? I uh, flying helicopters. There's a thing that can happen called uh, ground resonance, where uh, I, I can't. This is from ground school. I can't remember what it was. But I've just seen this. These people. There's somehow something goes on with it when they set down with the way they're setting down and what's going on. Where I, I can't. I I already forget. This is embarrassing how it happens. But literally, you set down and the thing starts shaking. Now you should lift up. But they, it, people freak out. They don't know what happened. The little thing just shakes and falls apart, like uh, the cop's car and Smokey and the Bandit. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's just shit ball there. Yeah, and I've seen that also with like motorcycles, with where they 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 start doing like this yeah. thing. Uh, there's a great video, a scary video of a guy on Instagram starts having that happen, and he's on the highway, and there's a tractor trailer right next to him. He goes down like a stunt and slides underneath the fucking truck. And, and he's like in jeans. So it's like the momentum. He got road rash, but he didn't get squashed. I don't know how, how it happened. And he got up. He's like, he's all ripped up and bloody, but he's like, it's all right. I'm alive. I'm yeah. alive. Like that's how it ends. And it's just like that right there is why I would never fucking ride a motorcycle. So, um, all right. So let's, uh, let's talk your website here. Um, so it's caseyspaintshop.squarespace.com. Is that, is that right? That's the way it came up? No? I don't know. Shit. I think it's just caseyspaintshop.com. I think it, yeah. Andrew, you got to help me out here. I looked it up. It's, I, I thought it was caseyspaintshop.com, and then it says Squarespace. I'm like, I have to get the work done, let alone try to learn how to run a website. I don't know. Shit. I know how to, like, call my cell phone and, like, it's Casey. find food. Right, com, but when you go there, it redirects to the Squarespace. But it's oh, it goes to the Square Store or whatever. It, it, it's oh, okay. But no, he uh, he had it right. All right. Well, just out of curiosity, for somebody who would want you to paint a car that they're actually going to drive and uh, risk, you know, smash risk it all. Yeah, like how uh, how far? Like my next car that I want to get. Um, I want to get a 67 Cadillac Eldorado. And there's a couple of colors that they had that year. There's one that's it's between a, a gray and a blue. That is just, it's just one of the most beautiful cars I've ever seen in my life. And it's really my style where uh, I am not a going fast guy, as you know, giving me a ride in your truck. I know, oh, yeah. dude. Yeah, but you, you need guys like me. So guys like you seem cool. You got to have the guys like me out there. So... We gotta have someone to tease. Huh? <laughs> so. <laughs> no, dude. Like, if I could just have that car and smoke a cigar and drive down the fucking street at the end of all of this, torn around telling jokes, you know, and my kids turn out to be decent human beings. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, my wife stays with me. I'm done. That's all I need. So, if I, if I were to get this car, I don't want to put you in a corner. I can edit this out here. But how far are you backed up? Um, right now, for like a full build, we're probably over a year probably right. if i just want to get it painted if i have somebody else paint. and you paint it uh it kind of depends on where we were in line right you know for the body shop because if our fab shop if we do a good job at the fab shop body shop goes quick and sometimes we are looking for fill-in work 
but something like that wouldn't take very long to paint. It'd just be the matter of taking it apart, painting, putting it back together for you, right? So, um, man, it'd just be one of those. That's almost a case by case, really, in, in a way. Just depends on where the shop is at the point, you know. Like if we get a lot of daylight there. I'm seeing a lot of daylight because one of my, I, I got to have you at some point, something that I get, I got to have you paint it because I was sold on your st stuff. Uh, when you did that lace top. Oh yeah. It was some sort of white car or something. You did that lace top. I thought that was like the perfect car to do that on. And it was like your idea. And then I also liked how after a while you got annoyed by putting clear on a patinaed car. It was just, <laughs> I just felt like you felt like you were the invisible man. Well, it's like they wanted to see us paint something. I'm like, you know, we're not doing shit, right? But just putting clear, we're not painting anything, but they wanted to see us doing something. Right. And then it almost seemed like, then it, for, there's like a short stint there that we did it a lot. And I was right. getting burned out and I was like, we don't have to do this shit. Like I just soon not do it at all. You know, we don't. I thought like, the clear made the the whatever the the chemistry of the rust made that stop. No, it doesn't. No. So like after a couple of years of clear coating one of those, um, we've had a couple that we've seen that it, the rust keeps growing underneath it and it turns the rust white under the bottom side of it because it's almost you're not really stopping anything. The only way to kill rust is to neutralize it, which means the blasted or chemically you know neutralize the rust. Putting clear on it just kind of. Oh, I thought it. The, the, I thought it. Looks. This is once again my poor science background. It looks cool for a while, but it comes off. There was no oxygen. Be able to like you sealed it off like a sandwich. It would stay. You would just cryo freeze it. No. My, uh, I did a couple trucks a couple years ago. We did uh, a '49 Ford and a '53 Chevy. We took to SEMA three, four years ago now, and uh, we just scotch fried them really good, cleaned them up, and kind of gave them like a sheen. And then if you wash them, I mean, rust needs moisture and stuff to grow anyway. So as long as you just take care of it, it usually doesn't get any worse, you know, if it's cleaned off. Where you have the biggest problem is whenever, like, the dirt is inside the quarter panels and, it's, you know, when it gets wet, it stays wet for a week or whatever. That's what's bad. So we just quit doing it. And if people wash their car normally, they'll rub off on them. So we just, we've got a 64 that a customer actually came today to drive for the first time in two years we've been building this truck for them. And uh, it's a patina truck, and we just cleaned it, and it's good. So maybe so that's not, not clear. Maybe that's I'll just find something that I can just deal with that I don't have, and just drop it off, and then I'll see you in a couple of years. And, and let me know when it's done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like weird shit, so I hope whatever I bring that I if, if I ever if I ever work again as a comedian, Casey. All right, I plan I plan on uh, bringing you something at some point. So. Uh, how about we wrap up with uh, you telling people where they can see what's, what's the next um, big event that you're going to be out at your once a month thing. You got anything? I mean, can they even have those things right now? We just got a notification today that, uh, do you know what SEMA is? No. SEMA it's a special equipment manufacturer association. I think that's right. Um, huge show that's in Vegas every year. Um, usually around Halloween, right after Halloween that it's, it's massive. So it's like all the manufacturers come together and it's just a place where you can go and learn everything about the new stuff coming out for the next year. And usually for the past seven years or so, we build a car and you debut it at that show. So that's where my green truck was built last year. And it was uh, put in the BASF booth, which is our paint company that we use. 
which mm -hmm. is, it was a huge deal to me. Being a painter and having a car and paint booth is, that is a hard gig to get. Yeah. Uh, so I was extremely excited to be in there, uh, but they canceled it. So uh, we haven't been to a show this year yet. Now I don't know if we're going to do it. I think we're just going to wow. probably take the rest of the year off and see in 2021, you know, I don't really know what else to do. I'm starting to think that that's where I'm at. We're, we're toying with an idea of, of possibly doing something back east. Then I got I to gotta figure out how am I going to get there? And, and, you know, I mean, I got a brand new baby boy at home. It's like, then what, I'm going to do that gig and then come back and quarantine for 14 friggin' days. It, it is, it is a crazy time, but um, I don't know. I guess hopefully, you know, in 2021, when we're all working again, I, uh, hope so. I can hit you up with some, some sort of weird vehicle. I should have made a list of some of the shit that I like. It's a lot of like, just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I like those old man uh, executive cars from the 70s. Oh, yeah. I like those uh, to like cab over, you know, COEs, those those things. And um, COEs are fun. They're cool cars. Yeah. And I kind of left all the muscle cars, but I feel like that was like a high school phase. And, and I feel like those are sort of baby boomer cars in a way where it's like, that's the car they wanted when they were in high school. So then that's their dream to get it. I get that where I think I kind of look at like, you know, what those early 80s, like Monte Carlos, Oldsmobiles, and Buick Regals? You're coming in hot, man. Like we're restoring a, a 93 Mustang Cobra right now for a guy. Um, I mean, that's like, I'm, I'm 37, right? So we've got cars that I wanted in high school. I drove a lot of Fox bodies. Well, now guys that are my age that wanted those or had those when they were younger and starting to make some money, it's weird seeing the emails that we're getting now about restoring late eighties, early nineties cars and trucks. And you're like, that's not that. Cause I still drive a 95 lightning every day. So to me, 95 is not old. I just drive my lightning and people are like, Hey, can you restore this? I'm like, restore it. I got two of them. You want me to sell you one of these, you know, but they're like, I want to restore it pristine. And you don't think that it's 30 years old already. You know, it's like, wow, man, I guess one that I like uh, the best truck I think of the last 20 years. Well, I like that, that Dodge Hemi, the 1500 short bed. Yeah. Um, before they messed up there, I don't like their front ends right now. The little RT trucks. They had a little five yeah. set Hemis or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I liked it. And there was a blue that they had that I liked and there was a black. And I was wondering like, so classic me, if I get that thing, I don't want to take the Hemi out. It's the original engine and all of that. Something like that, what would you do with that thing? What would your first idea if you want to make, like, first of all, like, when you look at that truck, what, what are your feelings of it? I mean, as far as coming straight from the factory, the power and all of that, do you respect it? It is good. I mean, that's one, uh, me and my wife are talking about, my son just turned 14, so we're looking to buy him something mm -hmm. and uh, probably next year or so, because I want him to be able to tinker with it a little bit. I don't want to have to restore anything for him, but if we could tinker with something, I was like, you know, those Dodges are reasonably priced. You know, Dodge doesn't really hold their value very well anyway. So, you know, get them one of those, lower it, you know, put some exhaust on, just kind of make it neat and some nice wheels. I mean, it's already got power windows and locks. I mean, what else do you do to it really, you know, except yeah. throw your... I'm saying, would you, would you mess with the engine at all or no? Oh, yeah, twin turbos all day long. Really? I, I can't leave anything alone as far as motor goes. They're never fast enough. So... 
Well, maybe when I get out there, if you teach me how to drive faster, maybe I'll 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 uh, I'll bring you something fast. But I'm probably gonna bring you grandpa cars. You're gonna uh, bring me a Dodge truck and want me to put a Prius motor in it or something? Don't do I that. Prius, I had a Prius for nine years. They're fucking amazing. Don't don't even start with this. I will I will defend that car to the end of the as far as like for what it does. See what, what does it do? Tell me what it does. Actually, what it does. Do you ever have a friend in your life that never needs anything, never bitches, and always has your back and always there for you? That's what the okay. <laughs> Don't have one of those. <laughs> but hey, this right now, that's what the Prius is. No matter how bad the gas prices got, I like I would I was always under forty bucks, dude. I live in L.A. There's no place to drive fast unless I want to like you know, do a line of Coke at three in the morning and then jump on the highway. But even then, they're going to be doing construction and slow everybody down. Right. So, and then when gas prices were cheap, I would be filling that thing up and I would be laughing at the pump. It's like I would pay what I paid in high school for my fucking car for gas. So um, in defense of the Prius, they never said that they would line up with your Frankenstein truck, okay? They just, you know. I'm going to send you this picture and you're going to laugh. Are um, you... <laughs> So my brother-in-law has a, uh, or had a Prius. And it's, you're describing exactly how it was. I gave him, he worked at my hot rod shop for two years and he drove a gold Prius and I made him park around the corner. It's like, don't park that in front of the shop. It's terrible. Then we would get to where we're taking it somewhere because it's like, he's like, dude, it won't take gas. We'll just go or whatever. And then prices, gas shot up. And like they had a shortage of gas. I don't, this is a couple of years ago now. Yep. And he's like, he's like, yeah, man, you guys make fun of me, but I'm the only one driving my shit to work. You know, I'm like, I don't want to hear it. No, so, that's what happened. When gas prices were low, I would get gay bashed. When gas prices came up, people would be coming over man, like, like, like you Tesla. Got a ride? Can you give me a ride? <laughs> hey, how much is uh, how much is that thing? How do you well, like that thing? Does that thing work out? I was gonna buy it for the shop car for the loop center that we own. And he ended up selling it, but I ended, I washed it, and they took a picture of me washing it because I told him, I'll never drive this car. And I was on a car wash, and I was like, well, I'll clean it up for him or whatever. Well, this picture haunts me because it comes back on your news feed. It's like, do you remember this? You know, and you're like, damn it. I'll have to send it. To, I'll never find I'll it. I'll tell you this. I, uh, you know, another car that I think is the shit for what it does, a smart car. Like, I look at that thing. Notice I saved this to the end. You know what I like about a smart car? This is the Californian, yeah, I think. No, it? It, this is the, uh, no, no, don't disrespect California. This is all the hot rod cultures out there. No, I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. I just look at it like that's what, when I was a kid, a little kid, and you had like a go-kart, that's what the fuck you wanted. Like, what if this little go-kart could do like 80 miles an hour and they built one? The only reason why that car sucks is because there's somebody in an F-350 tailgating you behind. Which you I can't totally, go any faster. Like, which I totally get. But as far as zipping around LA, and I mean, the only thing easier to park than that would be like fucking motorcycle. So um, yeah. I don't know. I try to, I try to separate. I, I don't judge everything on the basis of a Ferrari. I just look at like, I try to keep it in the class that it is. What I'm basically saying, Casey, is I think I'm a better person than you are. Okay. <laughs> what it boils down to I'm not as is I enjoy the environment. I just sent you that picture. Did it come through? Listen, I live near an ocean. So at some point I had to talk down to you because you're in the middle of the country. That's, that's what's done now, right? I'm kidding. I guess. Um, well, anyways, uh, I just want to thank you so much. 
for uh, we finally, you know, been trying. I've been trying to get you on this thing for a long time. So I'm so psyched that you finally did it. Thank you for, uh, you know, letting us all know about what it is that you do and people out there. I know there's people wanting to start their own shops, stuff to watch out for, especially that part where you started and you had all this work, but we're going broke. Like that, that seems like a hit book to me. Um, this is hard. I mean, yeah, it is. But uh, anyway, the great Casey Matthew, caseypaintshop.com is the website. Uh, he'll paint it if you'll drive it, right? That's right. That's basically it. All right, Casey, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate thank it. You. Thank All you. Right. Have a good day. All right, we'll see you. You ready? Yep, go for it. All right, everybody, look who's back. It's old Zip. Recruiter. Uh, hiring can be difficult, especially during these times. Uh, but if you're a company that is currently trying to hire, you face new difficulties from safety, uh, from safely reopening your doors to finding the right person for a specialized role. Housewire could relate. They needed to hire an ambitious reporter to cover news stories on the U.S. mortgage and housing markets. So they turned to ZipRecruiter. Zip. Recruiter. Zip. Um, ZipRecruiter's smart matching technology finds people with the right experience for your job. In fact, four out of five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And that's how Housewiring found Alexandra Roja. Man, they're just naming names on this shit. Alexandra never imagined she could get a job, could get a reporter job in the midst of COVID-19 hiring that was frozen, and the idea of looking for a job was discouraging. So she created a profile on Zip. ZipRecruiter matched up Alexandra to Housewire's reporter job because her degree and writing skills were a great fit for the role. Housewire re received her application only, this is like a reality show, only four hours after they posted the job. And a few weeks later, Alexandra started her dream career. ZipRecruiter helped Al Alexandra find the right job, and they helped Housewire find the right person for their role fast. See how Zip Recruiter can help you hire. Try to uh, try it now for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Burr. That's Zip Recruiter.com slash Burr. All right, uh, what do we got now? We got LegalZoom. You know, it's a whole new world out there, man. We're all faced with new challenges. If you need legal help to overcome some of yours, that's where LegalZoom fits in. All right, this is very important here. Maybe you've been working, uh, sorry, maybe you've been wondering about the best way to protect your family. Or maybe you're thinking about starting a business, but you don't know the best way to do it. Don't let legal questions hold you back. LegalZoom has been dedicated to helping you with the right solutions for more than 19 years. If you're looking to protect your family with a will or a living trust, or you're thinking about the right way to start a business, uh, with the DBA, LLC, nonprofit, or more, LegalZoom's got you covered. It's easy to get started online, and if you need guidance, their network of attorneys uh, can provide advice to ensure you make the right choices. And since LegalZoom isn't a law firm, uh, you won't have to leave your home and you won't get charged by the hour. Visit LegalZoom.com today to take care of some important things you need to get done. That's LegalZoom.com. LegalZoom, where life meets legal.
Hey, what's going on? It's Bill Burr, and it's the Monday Morning Podcast. Uh, actually, it's a special edition of the Monday Morning Podcast, is what I should be saying. Uh, every once in a while, I'm graced with a guest, and uh, you know, so you get an extra episode this week. All right, so that's an extra hour in your cubicle that you can actually uh, not want to kill yourself. And uh, gonna get right to it. My guest this week is uh, somebody I've known, I think, for about 17 years, I was thinking, uh, Jim Florentine. Jim Florentine. Yeah, man, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's probably Ben. I mean, we didn't, you know, we, we never did too many gigs together or anything like that. No. We were always, you know, you were doing your thing, I was doing mine. But well, You came up in Jersey, and I was uh, the suburbs of Boston. But I always felt like you guys, uh, you, Norton, Voss, that whole crew, even though Voss probably started in the 70s. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like... <laughs> You guys kind of had the same thing where you weren't in New York City. Like, we both had to, like, migrate there. Um, and, I, and I feel like I, when I started coming – I started coming down to New York with Patrice in, like, 94, 95. Moved there in, like, 95. And um, I don't think I saw you when you had the long hair. I think you had your hair cut by then, didn't you? Yeah, well, 92, 93 is when me and Norton tried to start going in New York City and just, you know – what, no oh, one really? part of us. Yeah, and then about 94, 95. But whenever Kurt Cobain came out, like 93, late 94. When he died or when no, he came well, out? Well, no. When, when, when did uh, he, he came out? He died in like 96, though, right? No. He came out in September of 91, and then he died in April 94. And I only know that because of uh, my love of metal, and metal was over, and all of a sudden. I thought he was a douche when I first saw him, when he was doing, like, making fun of the tap on solos and that smells like teen spirit. I knew he was making fun of metal, and I just was—I thought the guy was a dick. I'm one of the few people who admits that because everybody see. I've talked about this in the podcast. People seem to like when they bring up that Nirvana album. Never mind. Everybody seems to act like like they knew that this that there was going to be this total shift in music, and you know there was something in the air and all that. And it was just—it took. I didn't get Nirvana until after In Utero, and then I saw him in uh, when they did Unplugged. And right as I started to like him, uh, Kurt killed himself. Yeah. So, no, I, I think, mean, I, I think didn't really get into me. that album in the beginning. You know, and you know what? It's weird about that. It's like everyone thinks that that was the album that changed. I mean, it kind of was, but it wasn't their music specifically. It was MTV and radio decided that, that metal wasn't cool anymore and they were going to stop playing, you know, the But how bands. do they like collectively – like it is amazing that that album came out and the second that came out – it, there was like all of a sudden all the bands I was watching weren't on MTV anymore. I remember even Madonna was bitching. Uh, she had some fucking catty little interview with Kurt Loder. And uh, he's like, yeah, you haven't made uh, too many videos off of this album. She goes, well, why should I make them? You guys don't show them anymore. You don't show my videos anymore. And, he, and uh, she kind of went right at him. And then MTV, like a bunch of pussies, started showing her videos like right after that. Like I would have been like, yeah, well, fuck you. You're old now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But no, what happened was they, um, you know, and then Pearl Jam came about the same time. Right. They just MTV basically decided what what was popular, and then and then every radio as soon as they started playing Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and it was the hot new video. Uh -huh. Every radio program across the country goes, okay, that's what we got to play now, and they just totally discarded the metal. So yeah, it wasn't how does that happen though? Like did they have like some fucking Bilderberg group of like radio stations, like they have like a conference. Yeah, you know, it's just one guy, like, you know, one big programmer, probably the guy from fucking Z100 in New York. 
right. whatever that douchebag was. And he started going, oh, you know what? Nirvana's the new or Pearl Jam. And then everybody at other radio station, what's New York playing? And L.A.'s playing this? Oh, we got to play it. And then oh. they just copy. It's just, you know, it's like the TV business. One show's successful and they'll try to put 50 more out like yeah, that. Yeah, because I remember that that was uh, overnight. I know I'm old now, so I don't pay attention to, like, music changing. Right. But that's the last time I remember was just like, I thought it was going to be, like, Headbangers Ball and fucking, you remember the, the top, uh, what was that thing that that guy who tried to dress like a headbanger but wasn't? The guy was from like fucking Sweden. Remember that European guy with the blonde hair? Adam he, Curry? Yeah, yeah. No. No. Is he not one of the, was that one of the original guys? No, he was like the guy that wore a leather jacket. He had the fluffed, uh, like blonde yeah, hair. Yeah, Farrah Fawcett hair. Yeah, yeah, that was Adam Curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So he yeah. used to host that top 10 thing. And I swear to God, like the top 10 was like eight metal videos and like maybe Janet Jackson would slip in or fucking Jody Watley. They'd be like one R&B thing and uh, and then some like new kids on the block thing or something like that. And then the rest of it was all fucking Guns N' Roses, Skid Row. And I thought it was going to be like that forever. Obviously, I mean, I was a young kid. I didn't know that music changed. I thought disco sucked. But I have to bring this up. I talked to you right right before we started this thing was how I was trashing a lot of the metal videos that I saw. I came home one night, like uh, late at night, and I put on like VH1, and I was astounded at how bad some of the music was that I listened to and some of the videos. Like there was one Quiet Riot one where they actually sort of rapped or did some sort of scratching before their song came on. I want to say it was about Russia. I don't know if I'm... I don't know that one. It must have been later one. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, I combine shit, but I like... I don't know. Some people think, I, I don't know, that I don't like metal. I like it, but I, like, I don't look at it like, like with like uh, just, you know, with blinders on. No, no. I mean, if you look back at those videos, because the VH1 Classic plays them all the time, Metal Mania, I'll play like four hours. I did a fucking awful... Yeah. Ronnie James Dio, you know, I love Ronnie. He was a great dude. And, you know, I personally know him, but walking around with a sword and yeah. fighting <laughs> these demons. And, you know, I was saying, come on, you're, you're playing a metal and he's going through the woods. And he's <laughs> Dude, you remember when they were out, though, when you were a kid? You thought they were sick. You're like, did you see the new Dio video, dude? It's fucking unreal. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, and then, yeah. you know, they always, and then the other, like the poisons always had the hot chick in there, the warrants always had that. It's like, holy shit, do you see that hot? Man, is she fucking hot? Right. And you look back, she's like, she's not that hot. No, no, they Not were awful. All. They were awful. It's funny because we're going to have uh, Nan and Nancy, Nancy, Nancy and Ann Wilson from Hard on our show okay. in a couple of days. And me and my friend Eddie were talking how we used to jerk off to Nancy Wilson because she had the big tits and she had the cleavage. <laughs> you know, those, you know, never. Which one was that? The redhead or the yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, skinny was, one. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> they always had the tits out. You know, they had to in the eighties, and I was like, that was that's what I jerked off to in eighty seven, eighty eight. Do you remember when the other one got real fat and they tried to shoot around it by doing like an extreme close up of her face? Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tried everything that they could. She went. She was sort of like the original like fat chick from like Wilson Phillips. Yeah, remember yeah. That she had like the. I, I don't like when people get fat and they complain about this business and the pressure to stay in shape. It's like you, you want to be on a stage and eat whatever you want. That doesn't work that way. No. You have you have to come into this business a fat fuck. Like, if you come right. in that way, like, hey, it's the fat fuck, then you're, you're all good. But you can't become fat in this business. You, you're going to, you know, you're going to get trashed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, she was. She was hot in the 70s. Yeah, she was. You know, yeah, she definitely put it on. I was, I was reading an article on them. They were saying how the record company was so afraid to tell her she has to lose weight that she was, they, the record company, you know, brought the band in without her and said, please, 
talk to her because we, we, we don't want to piss her off, but she has to lose weight. Right. And the band went to her and she got so fucking pissed. She left the record company at the time. I think it was Capitol. She's like, fuck them. Yeah. And she was that. wearing like, all, they used to wear all like that leather and stuff. It's yeah. not a good thing. There's been a couple people who got fat. George Thorogood got fat. Yeah. And he still wore those, those snakeskin leather pants. I went to some fucking blues festival and he was there and he came out with these fucking things, dude. He looked like he just had a kid. It was it was awful, and it was like one of those things where it's like, dude, you got to do something. Wear a button down and some jeans, and hit the fucking treadmill. It's just one of those. If you're like in this business, absolutely, you can't, you can't, um, you know, losing your hair or anything, you know, like that's right. you know, Daiso. I'm losing mine, and I'm just saying, fuck it, I'm just letting it go. Yeah, yeah, it's start. I'm starting to go in the back, and I'm just like. Uh, I, I can't, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to scalp the back of my head and then have that shit put in the front. I just I, – this is why I look at it. You know, if I was going to be the next Brad Pitt, it would have happened by now. I'm fucking <laughs> – you know, it's like You're right. I'm 44 years old. What am I going to fucking be some 50-year-old sex symbol? Yeah. You know, I'd rather be the just the uh, – I, I, you know, dude, I do a podcast that told jokes. I'm I'm good. I can, right. make, I can right. make my fucking rent. I don't need to go there and get my fucking face yanked back and have some pubes taken from fucking my dick and stuck <laughs> on my head. I mean, then, then the, no matter what, this business is going to be finished with me at some point. So I've kind of made a rule that I am going to try to look like a fucking human being at the end of this, um, you know, unless uh, unless they so get like the facelift down. If they get it down where you actually can still look like a human being, like right. I'm, I've been talking lately on stage. Have you seen that, that cinegenics or whatever it is, you know, like those, yep. yeah, those yeah. guys, I, I looked that shit up like those old guys who were shredded. It's fucking, they are on HGH. Hey, that's what I thought it was. You yeah. They're on, they're on, they're on fucking, that's why that guy has that tone. Like he wants to fight his kids. Right. I'm in better shape than my kids. You feel like <laughs> he's getting ready to snap. So like, they say that that's like cancer causing, like the, the the HGH. So like those guys, that's this first wave of old guys. They're probably gonna fucking something bad's gonna happen in four to five years, and then they'll use them as guinea pigs. So I figure by the time we get there, it's like roids now. Like back when we were kids, roids, you know, would shrink your balls up. You got fucking titties. It was horrible, and then you fucking died. And now, but now they got that that synthetic stuff. They got the clear. They get, they just keep making it better. Yeah. So. Real quick, if they if they come up with a fucking pill for a full head of hair, or you know uh, anything, or if it just feels like your head's on fire for a minute, I would do it. But like as far as like scalping the back of my head, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm on the fence about that too. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's never been a sex symbol that all of a sudden that 44. No, you know, even George Clooney made it like 32 or 33, and that was like late. Yeah, he was he's, old. He's he was old. Already, he was around for ten years doing yeah. little bit parts, and all of a sudden he got ER or whatever, and then he became a sex symbol. So, and plus the advantage of kind of being a mess is no one really pays attention to your aging as much as like like if if you're in that People magazine fifty most beautiful people, people always say the funny shit. They be, oh my god, did you see so and so? What happened to her? What happened to him? It's like, dude, what the fuck happened to you? You think you think you're like you know under glass, not aging? So. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's just I, I try to keep it as low maintenance as possible. Jeans and a t-shirt and fucking whatever. I don't even brush my hair. I don't fucking do anything. You know, I don't want makeup on when I go on TV. I don't. No, I don't want it. No, we have that. Go seriously. I go. I don't for what. You know what's funny? I like how we're acting like. Being a sex symbol is actually an option for us. Yeah, if I know. We, like we're, we're going, no, we don't want that. Yeah, if we just took care of ourselves a little better. Well, speaking of, but, but look, when I was in late 80s, early 90s, when I had long hair, uh-huh. I took like Bon Jovi's, 
whatever style he had, or, or David Coverdale from White Snake, and I, uh-huh. I got a lot of fucking ass. So I was almost considered a sex symbol back then, even though I wasn't. I, no, but you, but you can be a local sex symbol. Well, I was in Pennsylvania. I was a fucking twelve. <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, because they were still five years behind the whole like you know long hair thing. So I would do right. all these gigs out in Pennsylvania, and just fucking clean up. That's hilarious. Do you ever go back there? Like, is that like your Germany, like David Hasselhoff? Do you ever just go back to Pennsylvania, do like a book signing or something? No, because once I cut my hair, they cut me off. I, they no longer liked me. I was over. They were they were mad. They were just like remember when Metallica cut their hair? All the half their fans were pissed. Yeah, they fucking cut their hair. What or the felicity? F- yeah, who cares? Oh, so that's going to change their music? So when I, Yeah, they, they turned on me, Pennsylvania, too. Just before all my listeners trashed me for knowing the Felicity thing, I took an acting class with a girl who was on the show. It was some show called Felicity, and every guy, like 14-year-old boy, loved this girl, Felicity. And then she, she got her uh, uh, this, you know, I'm going to play softball now haircut. Right. And, and the whole fucking show tanked. And this actress was a little bit older, so she, was, she came in just bitching one day. Because she finally had a fucking regular gig or something like that. She wasn't like one of the main people. Uh, but, you know, she was on like three, four fucking episodes a season. And this chick cut her hair and like 100 people lost their jobs. Well, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I know it, people. Well, before. I, could see, I could see that. I mean, remember when Cheryl, I always thought Cheryl Crow was hot. I, always uh, I still so- think she's hot. And then remember when she came out with that fucking soccer mom hairdo for like a year? No. She cut it all off and it was really short. It fucking, she looked no, terrible. You can't do that. You can't, as a woman... If you come into the business fuckable, hot or whatever, you have to look that way. The whole it, it's the same thing. It's the same thing like uh um even as a guy, as a guy if you're coming in and you know you're all shredded and you have abs and that type of shit, you got it you have to you can't get fat. You know what I mean? Unless you, I guess you're playing some uh trying to win an Oscar, but you can but you then have to go back and lose the fucking yeah, weight. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the thing, dude. So if I look like fucking Ron Howard you know, it's <laughs> I basically I realize now that I'm losing my hair that I'm going to look like him my whole fucking life, which is really disappointing um, that, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there's no fucking problem. But you're you're 44. I mean, you'll you know, when do you think it might the career might start slowing down? You think you got to at least 50, 50? I think say when, when, when do you think it's going to start? Um, dude, what I'm doing right now, if I just do, if I make money off my podcast and I make, and I just keep putting out specials every couple of years, I'm fucking good. Like right. my free time is priceless. Like, uh, you know, you get into this fucking business and they start going, oh, what, you know, like you just think that you want a TV show and then I don't know, you get kind of close to it. And, uh, I mean, I don't know, like your show, I, if I was going to do one, I like a show like yours, that metal show where it's like it's that's taped in pretty much real time, right? Maybe yeah. a couple of pickups uh-huh. or whatever. And real time for people not in show business here is just basically, you know, 30 minute show is shot in like 30 minutes. And maybe if there's a couple of flubs, if you said the name of an album wrong, you might have to go back and re-record that. But like uh, those one hour, one cameras, those are that's 12 hours a day. Like five, six days. I think was it five days a week they shoot. They shoot an episode every four days, and they start the next one Friday, and you just keep going. I don't know. I guess it's like three months of your life. Right. I, I'm too. Uh, I I would rather just go slug it out in a strip mall, and just make money that way, and then just come back here and then fucking play guitar or fuck around. And chill. All day. Absolutely, man. Um, I love taking time off. You know, yeah, you got to do it. Absolutely. Just, you know, because I was always like, even I'd work on holidays. I'd feel like if I didn't get on stage in two days, I'm like, what am I doing, man? Fuck. Right. I'm going to be rusty. Shit. I'm, what, am I, what am I doing? My career, everybody's passing me by. And now I'm like, 
gives a shit. Yeah, no, no, you got to like when you guys tape. Like you're out here right now in Los Angeles to tape. Uh, like how, how many of that? Metal we're only show doing. Like- we're doing six episodes. This we already taped two a few months ago. Whatever they're going to put them. But yeah, we tape two episodes in a day. We tape from three to seven. We knock out two two hour episodes in four hours, basically with like an hour break in between. Oh, so we just awesome. Yeah, we just pump them out. And I notice shit. You know what I mean? It's not like I got to study it. We got you know guys from Iron Maiden and shit coming on, which I've been fans of for years. So I just yeah. like I'm just interviewing one of my idols, and there's a you know a camera on, which is awesome. Jesus Christ! It's dude. not too That's much research. Like you. You're for like me. you like. You've quietly created, you created co-creator on this show. That no, but show? no. I mean, I pitched it with uh, you know my buddy Eddie. Well, Eddie with Trunk. Uh, he's a DJ in New York, and he's been on for a while and working oh, okay. record labels and stuff. We became friends. I go on his radio show, and we just you know debate metal. And he goes, "I'm going to try to get this as a TV show." I'm Dude, that it. guy is on like a whole other level. Like he has to be the biggest metal fan ever. That guy, like. I like he he takes it all like really like seriously like I I feel like if I could get into a debate with debate with him and he could actually convince me that Kiss is just as relevant as the Beatles. Uh, yeah, he can. Absolutely. Yeah, like I see. What I mean, I can sit there like I love ACDC. Right. Uh, but I mean, I, they're not on the same level as the Beatles. They're just not. You know what I mean? Like it's they're just not. No. No, I love those guys. I'm not trying to. No, absolutely. Bad mouth any right. bands You're or right. anything. And I, I love those guys to death. By the way, I thought that was hilarious the way they described your uh, your show, at least on Wikipedia. They said uh, that that metal show is the uh, the Tonight Show for ACDC fans. Yeah, that's, that's the greatest phrase ever. Yeah. <laughs> Who came up with that? I don't, I, someone in a review, someone that came to the show and reviewed it or something. Because they wanted, the VH1 wanted to say it's it's the view, uh, it's a, to- a cross between um, the view? Headbangers oh. Ball and The View. I'm like, get that fucking, nobody, I go, yeah, no, no one that likes hard rock or metal watches The View. Once not, don't say that. They go, no, it's, it's a successful show. And they're like, and they wanted me to say that in interviews and I would never say it. And like, they were getting really pissed. Like, he's got, tell them to say it's a cross. I go, I'm never saying The what View. What is wrong with them? Just them in general. See, that's right. When I hear stories like that, I just like, how do you just not go? That is the dumbest fucking idea on the, you know what? I, I just feel like sometimes they just have to say something to justify the fact that they have a desk. Cause if they, if there's, if there's, they just want to be like, oh, it's, it's uh headbangers ball meets the view. I came up with that. That was my contribution to that show. And now I want to go create something else. I guess that's how they go up. I'm really not trying to sound like a bitter asshole, but I am here. But. No, of course, you have to be because it's like, come on, we know. Like, no, I, I, that fan base, when I go to an OzFest, I, I can go up to 20,000 people. Do you watch The View? And the fucking about 19,000 would punch me in the face yeah. for even asking them that. <laughs> no one would say yes. <laughs> So why are we going? It's a cross between Headbangers Ball and The View. As soon as the guy, if I saw that, because I would tell him, I go, if I saw that, I go, uh, The View, I'm not yeah. watching that. And you know what their thought is? Their thought is, well, this is a very male demographic we got to get the females in there so then they throw in the view and and just they can't you know what it is they can never make enough fucking money they just never making enough they always have to do it and then they got to add some extra fucking thing and then when it nosedives then they'd put it on you yeah yeah absolutely and then you would have to bear that cross Weren't you on that show that was like The View, but you had Ozzy on it and you'd be like that wasn't the idea you know and the other person gets to just skate away I know I've been lucky because um, you know the producer gets it, and you know we fought for what it, what they real. I think originally they wanted it to be like a Rock of Ages type thing, the goof on the '80s metal. Uh-huh. They wanted us to basically dress in spandex and put wigs on, and 
you know, go, right. ooh, all right. that stuff. And we're like, absolutely not. We're three fucking guys with no energy. We're not physical. We just sit there and we talk heavy metal. <laughs> but I don't make, so. I don't, we don't make anything bigger. I'm not, we're not flashy. We don't throw kicks. I got to admit, I've been real jealous watching some of the people you've gotten to talk to. Like just knowing you have Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is one of my big, like, I fucked up that I didn't go see them. I could have seen them on the Power Slave tour. I forget what it was. My dad was pissed at me or something. I, I, I fucked up like two weekends before and somebody had another ticket and it was like, you know, I was young enough where I still had to ask permission, still living at home, like 16, 17. I was just like, uh, yeah, I got to let the old man cool off and I, I can't make that one. And uh, I actually think my friends didn't even make it to the show. They got so hammered. My friends were idiots. <laughs> but uh, that's one of the big ones. And you, uh, I saw one time I was flipping through and I saw uh, you had Jason Bonham on. And, uh, you know, I'm a John Bonham freak. And I met him one time at Guitar Center in somewhere in Florida. I don't know why he was in there. He, li- he was living down in um, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Coral Springs. For a lot- I think he still lives down there, Jason. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I ran into him, and, and he was cool as hell. He liked comedy. And I got this, like, you know, cell phone pictures back then. was like a flip camera, and they're usually awful. Somehow it was fucking great. It was just this awesome picture of me and Jason Bonham. And then I left the fucking cell phone in the goddamn cab on the way to the airport and I had never sent it to me, uh, sent it, uh, emailed it to myself or anything. So I was slipping through the fucking channels. Dude, I'm such a John Bonham like freak that when like, like when I shook Jason's hand, like I was thinking like he shook his dad's hand at some point he had to have, you know, and like you walk around going, Hey dad. But it just like, I literally felt like, uh, I don't know. I was like the biggest fanboy ever. So when I saw that you had them on the show, him on the show, I was just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would uh, that guy would have like had to call security if I actually got to sit down and ask him, and it would be like fifty million questions about his dad, which he's probably sick of answering. Um, I think he, um, you know, he doesn't mind it though. He went out he and did that whole Zeppelin thing, and supposedly I heard from a, a reliable source there's going to be something going on with Zeppelin at the end of the year. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I don't. The, the guy wouldn't say what. He's like a, a famous photographer who's really close with Jimmy Page. Well, I thought I thought Jason played great. Uh, during that last reunion that they did for the head, head of Atlantic Records when he died. Yeah. And what I loved was uh, he just, he he was doing like an amalgam of like studio and live shit he heard his dad do. Plus he, ha- he had a lot of him in it. Like I, I thought that he, he wasn't, I mean, that's got to be terrifying because like Zeppelin fans and like drummers, like um, I, I hate, like I, I look at like, there's a lot of people do like drum co- covers on YouTube and they'll do a drum cover of like uh, fucking, you know, some Zeppelin song. And somebody will kill it. And someone will be like, good job, but there's only one John Bonham. It's like everybody knows that. This guy doesn't think he's fucking John Bonham. He just loves the guy. And, and it inspired him to learn how to I mean, play drums and learn how to play. I've even seen him like Jason. Jason Bonham will have like, you know, him playing drums and he's fucking killing it. And someone will be like, you know, yeah, but he's nowhere near his dad. And it's like nobody is. Right. And he, he doesn't have a T-shirt saying I'm really near to my dad <laughs> right. when it comes to drums. It's just so fucking annoying. Um, 
And I don't even know why I read the comments. I, just, I think I just read them just to see that, just to get mad. Of course. Because and look, if, J- if John was still around and Jason t- J- John goes, I'm out of Zeppelin, and they hired Jason to play drums, then you can go, hey, you know, you need his dad back there. He's no, right. he's no John. But he's not around. What are you going to do? So fucking just let Jason be Jason. Right, which is why I don't mind when people trash Wolfgang Van Halen. I want Michael Anthony back there. It's fucking annoying. They finally got David Lee Roth back in just Get Michael Anthony back in there. You can never. He can. They can, That will never happen. How does Eddie throw his son out of the band? Oh yeah. You know what I mean. That's the problem. And yeah, Alex he, is the uncle. He has to leave. He's got to throw his son out. Wolfgang of Wolfgang has to leave. You know, Michael's doing a show. Michael and Sammy are doing our show this week. Oh, where, where are they going to be at? We're, they're taping our show. Oh, are they? Is that? Uh, oh, yeah, okay. this week. Yeah. Oh, if you want to come out, if you're around, you want to come to the taping. I miss everything. When is it? Like I think it was Wednesday. Wednesday, of course. I'm going. Okay, so it's time for a little advertising. Um, all right, people. Stamps.com. Here we go. There are too many what ifs when you go to the post office. What if there's traffic? Or what if you can't find parking? Or what if there's some smelly sob holding the door? Mommy, I don't want to go in there. He's smelly. I don't care, Judy. Things get smelly in life. You need to push past this. I married your father. This is our situation. Get in there and get the stamps. Right? No one wants to go through that. What if it's closed when you get there? What if you're too dumb to realize the sun went down and you don't realize that they're not in the post office anymore? You understand here? There's a lot of what ifs. With their limited hours, you never know. Avoid all that hassle. Just use stamps.com. What's that, Bill? What is stamps.com? Well, I'll tell you, you son of a gun. Uh, Stamps.com is basically bringing the post office into your home, your apartment, your flat, your duplex, <clears throat> your tented city. With Stamps.com, anything you can anything you can do at the post office, you can now do from the convenience of your own desk. I've done it. It's awesome. You can buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer. It's great. You feel like the king of the world. Uh, get exact postage for any letter or package whenever you need it. All right? 24-7. Unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, okay? And you don't have to look at somebody's stupid face when you walk up there, you know, when they put that little thing, sorry, this window's closed, and you want to beat them with that little sign. Um, Anyways, I actually use Stamps.com. That's how I send out all of my DVDs. I put on a little I'm in a mailroom hat, and I, I weigh my DVDs, and I send them off to a strip mall near you so I can then go out, dance like a monkey, and hopefully whore myself out after the show and sell the DVDs. But that's another sad story. Back to the uh, the special offer here. Right now, use my last name, Burr, B-U-R-R, for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial. Plus, an $110 bonus offer includes a digital scale to weigh your letters and packages up to $55 free postage. All right? Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Burr, B-U-R-R, that's stamps.com. Enter Burr and bring the post office into your world. Stop going into their world, all right? It's like the end of one of those nerdy movies when you finally find the little glowy thing. Did I just mess it up at the end there? All right, whatever, stamps.com. Do it if you want to. Something for you. E-voice, everybody. Would you like to have a? Would you like to have your cell phone ring? but have people not know what your real number is? 
You know, wouldn't you like to get, like, have a cell phone, right? And only your friends and family knew the real number to it. And then you could come up with these virtual phone numbers that people could dial, but weren't really your phone number, but your cell phone would still ring. Would you be into that? Would you be into a service like eVoice that would allow you to do that? And off these, these virtual phone numbers, you could actually, uh, you could do conference calling on your own new business. And on the conference call, a feature where you could have actually up to 95 people for each extension. It's incredible. It's basically, it's a business phone number that will, that will ring on your cell phone, okay, without anybody knowing your personal one, which gives you the option of knowing whether it's a business one or a personal one and not answering it and whatever. It's absolutely perfect. It's an amazing thing. Um, they offer an entire service where you can uh, – Toll-free local managing of outgoing calls. This is all all the uh, this is all the 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 what are they options? I can't even think this week. Uh, mobility. All calls forwarded to a number slash people don't have to know your uh, your personal phone number. Virtual numbers. So long as you have a real number, you can give out fake numbers, but it rings on your own number. And if you don't pick up on your business, uh, your your new virtual um, phone number. They actually have professional accents, uh, professional uh, voice actors to give you any, any sort of like, like an outgoing message. Like if you want to give the illusion that you, your business is bigger than it is and you have a bunch of employees, one of the options that they have is that you can actually have – like I personally, I would pick some sexy female voice with like a British accent. just gives you business credibility. You know, they'll send you emails with a text transcription of the voicemail um, or not – the option is totally yours. Uh, it's a great way to basically have all these different business lines without having to drill a bunch of holes in the wall in your house. You know, you go, hello, welcome to uh, Widget, Widgets R Us or whatever. I'm doing a bad accent. You know what I'm saying. You can start the whole friggin' thing. So it's email, uh, e-voice. Check it out today. Do I have a website here? What the hell is it? Uh, hang on one second. Let me get this website. Yeah, it's evoice.com. There you go, Bill. You're genius. Um, once again, evoice is your mobile phone at work. It's perfect for business, uh, business person on the move. Uh, like myself, I'm actually going to get one of these phone numbers just because when I travel from club to club and all these uh, different radio stations, like my, my phone number gets out there and, and I, I get weird phone calls sometimes. You know, I rented a car in Chicago with like Avis like three months ago. And then out of nowhere, I, got to, I had to write down my, my fucking cell phone number. And uh, the guy who worked at Avis called me up. Oh, actually sent me a text. Hey, saw your stand-up the other day. Really funny. I'm the guy who rented you the car at Avis, which is beyond creepy. And I'm a dude, so I can only imagine how that would make a female. So it gives you the great, like, uh, privacy options while you still exist in the business world. Um, features eVoice offers includes call forwarding, call routing, toll-free um, 800 numbers, auto attendant, um, advanced voicemail, voicemail to text or voicemail to email, however the hell you want to do it. Uh, click on the eVoice banner on BillBurr.com on the podcast page or go to www.evoice.com slash BillBurr to get your exclusive six-month free trial. Six-month free trial. eVoice, uh, e your mobile phone at work. Um, that's one of those ideas where I'm just like, that right there is why I'm not a billionaire. Because I just look at that like that idea was just out there and uh, I just did nothing. <laughs> Why didn't I jump on that? Like YouTube, that's one of those ideas. Um, 
Anyways. But now I'm telling you about them, so you got to check them out. These guys are great. All right? Because um, I've actually done half the shit that they do here, and I paid a fucking lawyer to do it. It cost me a zillion dollars. Um, all right. If you basically... Are you sitting in a cubicle right now? Are you wondering why you're making somebody else's dream come true? Why you're working towards that when you actually have an idea for a business? You know? Well, and you're sitting there going, well, I'd love to get myself incorporated to start my business, but it's going to cost a fortune. Well, at LegalZoom.com, if you've been waiting for the perfect time to start your dream business, um, right now is the time to do it. You can incorporate your business or form an LLC at LegalZoom.com starting at just 99 bucks. It cost me like 1500 something like that, 700 1500 I can't remember. It was a lot of money. They'll do it for 99 bucks. And if you have a family... Um, and you need to make sure that they're protected. LegalZoom also will help you uh, make out your last will and testament for just 69 bucks. That's something that I have to do. All right? I have to make out my last will and testament, which is really a scary thing for me to do, you know, because you're actually dealing with your own mortality. And considering I just had a dream like I did last night, it freaks me out. But I got to tell you, if I'm going to do it, I'm doing it for 69 bucks. Um, in the past 12 years, over 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom for LLCs, wills, trusts, trademarks, and more. This is basically, look, if you're trying to start a business or if you need a will to protect your assets, this is the place to go. Uh, you're going to save hundreds, even thousands of dollars versus going the traditional route. And I know what you're thinking. Well, what if I get bogged down? What, what if I can't figure it out? They even have an attorney to help you if you need uh, if you need help. Basically, they have uh, attorneys that you can call and that type of stuff. All right. Mandatory close. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to write <laughs> the worst. There's the mandatory close, everybody, to this ad. Start your business and protect your family today at LegalZoom.com. You can also get a special discount from listening to this podcast. Make sure you enter BURR, B-U-R-R, in the referral box and check out uh, at checkout for more savings. LegalZoom is not a law firm, and self-help services are provided at your direction. All right, so that's the deal. There it is. You want to start your business? You want to be incorporated? That is the cheapest, most efficient way to do it. Uh, I wish they were around back when I got incorporated. Could have saved myself hundreds of dollars. So there you go. Legal Zoom. I fucking miss everything, dude. And then we got Steve Harris taping that same day, too, from Maiden. Of course you do. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And then they're raffling off a uh, John Bonham drum kit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, Paige and John Paul Jones are coming in on Thursday. Can you make that? Uh, you know who's got some insane stories, but isn't in, in a uh, isn't in a metal band? Is Steve Gorman from uh, the Black Crows? I did his podcast. Yeah, if you ever, I don't know if you know. I'm trying. You would tell me about him. Oh my god, he's got some great. And I'm not going to tell any of them. I'll tell him to you when we're off, just to give you a gist of some of the stories. But I mean, I don't know what he wants out there. Plus, he he lived them, so you tell him better. But. Um, how the hell did I get to know him? I think I doing his podcast is how I got to know him. And then the Black Crows came and they were playing the uh, Palladium one night. Did some epic like three-hour show. Like the first half was acoustic. Then they came out and did the electric stuff. It was incredible. And um, he's one of those just really just, you know, you know, been through it and back and back again, you know. So just totally down to earth. Totally cool guy, man. He, he would be great. I mean, I don't know if Black Crows are too uh, – Rolling Stone. No, kinda, we, they would fit in. I, I love yeah. the Black Crows, man. Yeah, right. well, I'll tell you, that guy would be uh, fuck, a, a fucking amazing guest. If he told half the stories, or just one or two of them, they're just really like, uh, 
you know, it's it's you know what it is. As, as a comedian, we have a bunch of stories, but so much of it is solo shit. And as much as you might not get along with another comedian, um, you don't have to go out on the road with them. And it's just that thing of like, you know, I've done a couple of comedy tours, and it's just like, you know, there's always there's the late guy, there's the fucking loud guy, there's the dude who's snoring. You know, there's always there's always, and you have to learn how to get along with those people. I don't know how the fuck these bands do it. I don't either, man. Being on a tour bus for friggin' six months at a time. No, and, and bunks. And they all got that fucking story too. Like the second the tour ends, like they just they just all leave in different cars by then, and they don't talk to each other for like fucking eight months. Yeah, it's unreal. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that's how I would have been with my friends if I was in my early twenties. When you don't recognize, like, hey, shit's getting out of control with everybody's relationships. We need to have a sit down here, and you just let it get to that point where the level of resentment is so high, you don't even give a fuck that you're playing arenas. Yeah, you're gonna walk away from that. You can't get along with the bass player. Does that even doesn't even make sense, right? They um yeah. It's, speaking of which, we got Aerosmith coming on a show this week. Of course you do. So of course you. Who else do you got that I'm not gonna be able to come into? <laughs> I finally have a fucking hookup in this goddamn world. No, actually, well, Aerosmith, they're going to tape on uh, Sunday. Oh, it's, yeah, not Joe, right? it's not Joe and uh, Steven. It's the other three, Brad, Tom Hamilton, and uh, Joey Kramer. That's even cooler. Though I know. We want the unsung heroes of Aerosmith. Yeah, that's even cooler. What is, I don't want to talk to Steven Tyler about fucking American Idol. I don't give a shit. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? He said he's done, though. Yeah, he's, I know. He, he said... is done. But I'm just saying, I don't even want to revisit that or any of that crap. Right. So we got these other guys coming on. But there was a point where they weren't... That, those, that band's always been fighting for years. There was a point they didn't even play for two years, and they were doing a gig over in, like, Dubai. And they were getting, like, $5 million to headline this big rock festival. Right. And they had to do the gig. They weren't going to cancel it. They didn't talk to Tyler for two years. That Tyler didn't... They didn't even talk to him before he walked on the stage. He didn't, wouldn't even rehearse with them. He didn't... You know, for that one big show they didn't play right. the first time they saw him in two years is when he walked out when they st- when they opened up with like sweet emotion when he hit the microphone that was the first time they even saw him that's how but much they hated really? each other yeah he would he didn't fly so with then, them so then when they did the show was he still putting his arm around Joe? yeah he just went up there like nothing happened but then you saw like six months later had another gig and fucking joe knocked him off the stage they had a plat they had a whole uh stage going out to the crowd right. like a little th- and, and joe freaking nudged him and he went flying in the crowd and he broke his uh like his arm or something like that he had to cancel a tour and joe's <laughs> like i do that to him all the time but you could see he did it on purpose like you fuck <laughs> you made me sit home for two years Is that what happened i don't know because you as a com- just think as a, of us as a comic I thought we he have to fell deal- off i thought he fell off the stage and then he got mad because nobody in the band ran over to see what he was well that if too but okay. if you watch the youtube video joe nudges him and he goes, I do that. We do that all the time to each other. But he he was right on the edge. You could see he fucking did it on purpose. <laughs> but just imagine Dude, that's a comic. like sports right there. I know. Was, it, was he going for the head? Did he hit him with the shoulder? Is that an elbow? He just gave him a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, fuck away from me. But he, they, he can't get mad that the other guys didn't come to see. The show's got to keep going. They Absolutely. just kept playing, hoping he was going to crawl back up. Wow. But just imagine as a comic, like, say, you know, there's three or four of us touring together, right? right. And then all of a sudden, one guy's being an asshole and doesn't want to do the tour six months from now, and we got to sit home for two years and can't play. Right. That would drive I, that would drive me out of my mind. And then he goes on and does, like, a reality show? Oh, yeah. I mean, Joe right. Perry doesn't just join another band, go, fuck, I got to get up on stage. They sit home and do nothing. I saw a Joe Perry Project went out. I saw them at the uh, the House of Blues. Oh they, yeah, yeah, it was cool. And then like you know, you, can't, you know, when they come to LA, all the musicians, so many of them are out here. It's like New York. So who who came out? Like Slash came out and a couple other guys. 
Like Slash is the shit. He came out and jammed with the opening band. Like he doesn't get, he just doesn't care. like he just wants to play. Speaking of torture, I mean it must have been torture for him having to wait all those years for Axel before he just finally said, Fuck it, I'm gonna do my own thing, you know? Well that's the thing and people always ask if we're gonna do you know, if Axel they would ever get the original band back together. First of all, they're not broke. So that's not gonna happen. They only do it when they're broke. Axel's band, you know, guns is huge still and over in Europe they perform in front of like thirty thousand people. So he's really? got money. Slash makes money. All Duff's a friggin' financial whiz. He's fucking get invest- he owns like half a Starbucks. He's good. And, you know, Steven, the drummer, is the only one that's, you know, he still has some money, but, he you know, he could use it. Izzy, who wrote most of the songs, is like a fucking gypsy and just lives in a friggin' like RV and just travels across the country. So he doesn't need any money. What, what, what band is he in? He's he was still in the rhythm Juju guitar Hounds? player in Guns N' Roses. No, no, I remember, yeah, yeah. But but he, I remember Izzy and the Juju Hounds was his Yeah, he did a couple solo, solo records too. So they don't need the money. But um, Slash even said, he goes, look, he goes, I'm in my fucking 40s now. He goes, and if we ever got back together, the original band, and the, the opening band got off stage at 9 o'clock and Axel didn't want to go on to 11.30, we had to make those fans wait. He goes, I'd walk out the fucking door on the bus and I'd, go, I'd be in my bed by fucking 10 o'clock. Because I would never put up with that. I'm not gonna sit. I'm not fucking sitting around for two and a half hours. See, that seemed to be the problem. Is that they when I I, I read Slash's autobiography. You know, this, this is a few books that I read. If you ever saw like a list of the books that I read, it'd be fucking hilarious. There's like a couple of classics, kind of Monte Cristo, right? Prince and the Popper or some shit, and then the rest is just all. Of course, I, Tommy yeah. Land is one of my favorite books. <laughs> <laughs> Hammer of the Gods. I remember <laughs> reading that, thinking that they were they really sold their soul to the devil. Right. Other than uh, just some bad shit happens in life sometimes. But uh, I, I remember reading the Slash one just going like, why are they – there's a point in the book where Matt Sorum finally just goes down and knocks on his dressing room drawer or his, or his, his uh, trailer. He's like, get the fuck out here. What the fuck are we doing? Like, it just seemed like everyone was just sort of appeasing every demand that he had. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because they were doing drugs and stuff. And they're like, as long as I got my little fucking pile of heroin over here, yeah, take the- Take control of the name of the band. I don't give a fuck. Like, all that crazy shit that he did. Um, oh, you actually got, like, one of the few, like, sit-down interviews with him, didn't you? With Axel, yeah. 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 What was that like? It was amazing. He's a good dude, man. You know, he's just, he, look, he's a hermit. He's friggin' private. He doesn't want any publicity. You uh-huh. know, he just, like, sits at home. And when he feels like going out and touring, he tours. And, you know, he's a maniac. I mean, like, you know, just that he, he has, everything has to be 100% perfect for him to go on stage, for him to put a song out. That's why it took him so long. But he's a good dude. Once like you a get, perfectionist, you mean? He's a total perfectionist, perfectionist, yeah. And he just, and, but he's got a great sense of humor. He's just a down-to-earth dude. But, and there's so many rumors about the guy, and we talked to him about it. He goes, I don't even – he goes, what am I going to do, address a different rumor every fucking five minutes about me? You know, right. the London press said like a year ago said that he just – he kills all the neighbor's dogs. He, he he backs over him with his truck, and then he runs back over him. He's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go out and, and issue – he goes, so people think, I'm, people think I'm this biggest asshole. He goes, whatever. I just – How many rumors do you come up with where that's, that's the next one? Like, what, you know, he's know. an alien. We already got that one. Yeah, he yeah, runs over the dogs, and then he runs over him again. Yeah, he runs him over again. Jesus. He's God. like, so he goes, it just is so much, you know – bad shit about me out there he goes look and i'm and he addressed the whole thing about being late he goes even as a kid my job was right next door and i would still be a half hour late i'm always just running late i'm an airhead when it comes to that but he goes i like everything to be perfect whatever i do and it just takes time. i know but, dude, but i know but be, yeah, being an airhead like i don't know where my car keys are but when you hear eighty thousand people with their what the fuck where are you energy or whatever they perform to thirty thousand people i think uh you know 
I don't know. This no, there's got to be something wrong with you. Like yeah. if you were sitting backstage in an improv or a theater, and the opening act got off, and you're just sitting back there, and you hear the crowd like, "What the fuck?" And you sit there for an hour and a half. Like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. No. Yeah. No. Make them wait another 45 minutes. There's no way we would do that in a million years. No, I would be so afraid that the, my, that would be the last time anyone would ever come to see me. Absolutely. I wouldn't even do it out of respect for the fans. I would do it out of fear yeah, of going back to what the fuck I used to have to do, you know? <laughs> um, speaking of that, how much, uh, how much stand-up do you get to do, like, uh, during the year now with all your, your projects? I do, like, two weekends a month. I'm out, you know, do it road okay. stuff. So you're doing it then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still, you know, do Funny Bone, you know, improv. Do you still go down to, like, the clubs in New York or anything? Uh, once in a while, I do the cellar. You know, I'll do Dude, the cellar. Dude, killing like, me, man. I'm like the – I feel like I'm the only guy – like, I go down to the comedy store and, like, the, the improv out here. And, like, when I think about all the guys that I started with and all of that, like, I don't know. Like, a lot of them, they just don't come around to the clubs anymore. Maybe I need more of a home life. You got a kid now, right? Yeah, I got a kid, so that's tough. You know, I got right. you know, no, that totally to makes do sense. a seller spot at twelve ten ain't happening. And get home, you know, and they're running late, and then I get home at like one thirty or two because I want to hang, you know, and just be a, you know, talk and hang right. out and shit, and you know, catch up with everybody, and then, you know, uh, he's up at fucking seven. Yeah, you know what? I was amazed at how Norton could, you know, once he got the Opie and Anthony gig. I remember like a few times I sat in for him and I would go out and try and do stand up that night. And I was already wiped out if I had done the show that day and then try to get up at like, you know, 530 in the morning. Like he's been doing that for like, what, 10 years? Yeah. 12 years. It's ridiculous. I don't know how he does he's that. He's a maniac. Yeah. Does, does, does he not sleep even... during the day? How does he do it? Yeah. He says he takes a nap during the day. But still, it's like, you know, he hits an early spot. You know, he's probably done by like 10 o'clock. He said he goes to bed at like midnight and gets up at five. Five, and then his brain is that quick. Like he has one of the quickest minds I ever. I, I've never gone in there and I've seen him just like like not on. Even Jim, like if he's tired, his brain always seems like it's like sometimes, you know, it's sometimes a he's mile better, down he's better the road. When he's tired. Yeah. Because he's so fucking miserable that anything will set him off. You know what I love what he does? I like how he's into that UFC shit. I like when he has the guys come in and they do the holds. They'll like choke yeah. him, and you hear that fucking noise he made. <laughs> Somebody put that on a loop. I watched that one time when I was on the road, just fucking laughing my ass off for like, like, just killed like a good ten minutes on the road, just dying laughing. But, yeah, you get, these guys put him in chokeholds. They friggin' uh, I was there one day. Punch him. Yeah, this guy, like, uh, what did he do? He took it. He kicked him with his shin, like, yeah, right, right where you get a Charlie horse. Right. And the look on Jim's face was so priceless because it was like. One of those pains that was so severe, like it, 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 it was like a pause before it set in, and then he literally looked like nauseous. Right. Like he, and I remember Kenny was upset too, going, that, "He's like that guy didn't have to hit him that hard. That was bullshit. He didn't have to hit him that hard." <laughs> but it was, it was worth it. He's a trooper, man. He really. Uh, no, he is, man. He did. That guy deserves everything he gets. Because, I mean, that guy would get off a plane on fucking Christmas Day and do three spots at the cellar and two at the comic strip. I'm like, dude, you could take a day off. You yeah, go yeah. see your family. I, I, I got spots. I got to do it. I... Yeah, you remember that shit when we used to go down when we used to do the food spots at the cellar and we would do them and then you'd play, uh, everybody would play chess. And just shit on each other if you weren't playing chess upstairs at the olive tree. Thank, you know what I love about that? Thank God nobody was – because I'm so fucking codependent. If they were all drinkers, I would have been boozing like every night with them. Uh, but thank God they weren't. So everyone just sat around like like Patrice never drank. Yeah. Jim doesn't drink. Bobby Colin. didn't drink. Yeah, none of those guys drank. And I remember uh, 
getting into this this cycle of going down there and doing like a 12, 1230. You know, was, David Tell was always a 12. So I'd be on after him like 1245, 1250. And then you just sit there and you'd always be like, I'm going home early tonight. I'm going home early. Next thing you know, it was like four in the morning. The amount of times I took the subway home, I used to take the six from Astor Place. I'd take it up when I was living with fucking Bobby and we'd be getting off the train and the sun was coming up and people were coming out to go to work. And, uh, it was so fucking bizarre. It was kind of cool, but then also I always felt like a, a, a bum because I used to be like a morning person, had like a paper route and all that type of shit. And uh, then you get in that awful cycle where you'd go to bed at like 7.30, sleep till like 3 or 4, and then you'd just wake up and do what? Get breakfast, and it was time to go down to the fucking cellar again. Yeah, that's that's a tough. I you know I lived with Norton for like four years, and that that was his schedule. I would go to bed at like two. I was never yeah. a six o'clock guy. I'd go to bed at two and get up at ten. He was a guy that you know at seven in the morning he'd still be up, and then I have to wake him up at like six o'clock. I go, dude, you got spots. You got to sell at eight, eight, eight o'clock. <laughs> I'd be waking him up at six o'clock. How long did you live with him? Like three, probably three years. And I, and you guys were able. You guys seem like you'd be able to get along good. Right? Absolutely, yeah. We got along great, yeah. man. We lived right outside the city. We paid like three hundred bucks. We let, we had a, I, I had a girlfriend at the time that lived with us. So it was nine hundred bucks for rent. So we split it three ways: three hundred oh, bucks a piece. Perfect. We were fucking five minutes away from the GW or the Lincoln Tunnel. It was beautiful. It was a shithole that was fucking mold all over the walls and stuff. We didn't care. <laughs> like three hundred bucks. It's fucking beautiful. I lived with Bobby, and uh, we almost killed each other by the end. And but I, I actually learned how to let shit go. But Bobby has this this great thing where he can get past shit. And I didn't co- I didn't come from a school where you got past yeah. shit. It's like you did something to me, and then we had fuck you, fuck you, and then the shit was over. But I learned through him how, how to be like, all right, dude, you know, you don't write somebody off because they spilled orange juice on your fucking little kitchen TV that you had there, you know. Um, but we lived in a in a we lived three people in a walk through one bedroom apartment. It was one bedroom, and then it was like a sitting room, right? And we actually used that as like the bedroom. And then in the living room, Bobby had a pull out couch that he slept on. It was ridiculous. And the our, our, our roommate used any time he brought a chick back there, he always fucking walked through. Like we, and Bobby put like a shower curtain up. It was fucking hilarious. And the guy always would come fucking, and he'd fucking like try and peek in to see the chick you were with. Oh, yeah. You know, not during, but like afterwards when you're fucking laying there. So one time Bobby fucking, you know, the dude came walking through. So Bobby was naked and he was underneath the covers. So what he did when the guy was coming back, because when he'd come back, it's the way you were laying in the bed. And he'd look to see, I don't know, see your titties or whatever. Bobby pulled the covers off of himself and was laying there totally naked. And and the dude came walking in, locked eyes with Bobby, and Bobby was just like, what's up? <laughs> and he never did it again. Really? He never did it again. It was fucking – it was brilliant. It was fucking brilliant. It was classic Bobby Kelly. Like, you know, I would have sat there for fucking – Four days trying to figure out how I'm going to approach this subject with him. He just got right to the core. I'll just show him my junk. Right. That'll freak him out. (laughs) That's fine. And I don't have to say anything. It was was fucking perfect. That's great. I used to have a roommate where his dad used to come home and want to look at the girls that we brought home. Oh. Yeah, he was real creepy, right? Yeah, he would always, like, he, he fucked one of his son's girlfriends after they broke up. Wow. Yeah. Was he a younger guy? No. I mean, you know, he was like 20. He was probably like 
45 and we were 20, something like that. And he bald dude. He wasn't good looking at all or anything like that. Jesus. He, yeah. So he's always, so I remember one time, like we were, we only had one bedroom. We we're sharing. We had these two girls there and I was on the floor at one. He was, the son was in the bed with the other and he comes home and he's peeking in and he turned the light on and he looked, I never forget this. It was so funny. <laughs> he looked at the bed and he couldn't really see. And then he looked in the ground and he saw this girl and she was fucking fat. Right. That's what I got. And he's like, who the fuck's with Orca down there? I never get He that. said that? He said that, yeah. What did the girl do? She, I, We just pretend like, ah, oh, get out of here. And we just put, pretend like You tried like to drown him it. out? Oh, we tried to, girl. but we didn't drown him out at all because it, it, was, it was awful. <laughs> we were, we were like, I was trying to hold it in because it was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> Who's with Orca? Yeah, dude, you had that thing. Yeah, I never had, like, I could never hook up with somebody I was. I, some of my friends, they could just hit anything that fucking moved just for the numbers. I always had, there had to be some sort of, like, some sort of attraction. Uh, I, I remember a couple of times my friends like, dude, what the fuck? And I was just like, dude, she's, she's gross. And they'd be like, at least let her blow you. And I was like, yeah. So I, I tried to do that one time. And I ended up hooking up with this girl, and she was, ah, she just was fucking, I, I don't, you ever hook up with a girl, she's like young, but she wears like an old person's perfume? Oh, the, wor- uh, the worst. She smelled like she was fucking 80. Oh, oh. She smelled like she was fucking 80, and that's all I could remember. I just remember banging her doggy style with my head turned to the side. Yeah. It, it was horrific. No, that's, that's, that's bad. I, yeah, I, I went through that phase for a while, but then it, it, I needed, you know, it had to be quality. But there was yeah. times where, because I, I you had quality, dude. I never saw like th- there were certain guys I, I saw. You know, they they bring girls down to the cellar. I was never a guy who brought girls down to the cellar. I never like, uh, I never trusted. Like I just feel you just bringing them down to the lion's den. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> if someone didn't take her, they, at the very least, you know, I would go down there and take a pounding. Some epic fucking pounding. I remember one night Patrice was getting was going after Norton, and Norton had some girl there, and they got into it a little bit. Uh, yeah, because Norton f- doesn't like that. Like if you know he says something, because Patrice will say something to a girl or something. Norton doesn't like to get, you know, if, if he perceives he's which getting totally cock-locked. makes sense. Which totally makes yeah. sense. But you know, Patrice once of he course. saw that that Jim was annoyed, it was fucking hilarious. It was really really fun. Jim really got mad, and uh, you know, of course, they, you know. They squashed it the next fucking day. But well, it was Patrice hilarious. did that when I brought a girl down. She said something stupid while he was sitting at the table. He was trying to be nice, and she just said something. <laughs> just, and I forget what it was, and Patrice just laid into her. And the girl's like, oh, I want to go. I'm getting out of here. Why is he so mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's I was, I, Patrice, of course, I was bad Patrice mouth, and, and I'm like, yeah, Robinson. I go, he's an asshole. I don't know. You know, I thought he was my friend. I, I don't know why <laughs> he would say that. Meanwhile, I'm like, that was fucking funny. You deserved <laughs> it, but I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> No, I would Patrice and Keith Robinson, if they were ever there together, it just was like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, I, I, I didn't have the skill to still get laid after parading the girl past those two fucking guys because they were either going to trash her or they were going to trash me and make me look like an asshole or even worse. I, I really took some epic, epic fucking poundings down there. I was not good at that. It took me. I was not good at that game. Just sitting there trashing people because the way I learned the game was it was serious and you went right for the fucking jugular. Like uh, Bobby has that a little bit. Right. Um, which is why we probably almost killed each other by the, when we were living together. But um, I don't know. You know what I wanted to talk about here? How far into this are we? 45 minutes. By the way, you're a fucking great guest. Thank God. I appreciate that, man. You know Thanks. what I mean? There's nothing better than when somebody comes over and they can just shoot the shit. They're the worst. You know it. Somebody comes there. Like I imagine on your show and be like, yeah, you had one of the greatest albums 
of the eighties. What was that like? And they were like, Oh, you know, it's, it's nice. Yeah, it was good. It was, um, you know, yeah, it was, there were some other ones that were good too, but that was, <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's, we always discuss that. And like, lucky that guy, Eddie, Eddie trunk, that's, you know, one of the hosts, he's been in the business for 30 years. So he knows these guys. So before he'll go, look, that's, this guy's a tough interview. Right. He doesn't say much, or you can't get much at him, or this guy just talks. He'll keep going and going. So we got to cut him off. So he knows, which who, is good. Who, who's been, look, I guess you can't name a name, but who's been like just the toughest, like, you know, who's tough to interview, but a great guy. One of the great is Lemmy from motorhead. Cause he's, oh, yeah. he's an old cranky British guy. If I, I love Lemmy. He's the, my favorite. When if, if, when he passes, man, it's going to be a fucking sad it's day. Brutal, yeah. I saw that documentary on him. It's fucking he's great. Amazing. He's just yeah. a legend, man, but he's, he just gives one word answers and you know, he needs a few cocktails in him to lighten up. And if we're taping at three in the afternoon, he's got to have a few jacks in him. And, but he just gives a lot of one word answers. He goes, no, nah, I don't, I didn't like that album. I, it, it, to me, it was terrible. And that's his answer. He's not being a dick, right. but that's just the way he is. So it's tough to get stuff out of him. Uh, he, he makes he's he, a funny he, he, dude. He gives but me hope. That guy that you can booze at that level still. Dude, you know what I mean? Sixty six years old, smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, Marlboro Reds, drinks a bottle at least a bottle of Jack Daniels a day, and still does you know crystal meth from time to time. And been doing it for since he was Jimi Hendrix roadie back in the day. So he's been doing know, it since unreal. the early seventies. Oh, I, I watched a documentary on him. He, yeah. he just decided to try like every kind of bourbon or every kind of scotch. I don't know what it was. And he had all of the bottles <laughs> like on his windowsill on the floor going up a bookcase. I mean, it looked like, uh, like if they ever said, Hey Bill, this is all the whiskey uh, you and your friends drank. Over the last 25 years. And with him, I think he was just knocking him out. I don't know. Dude, he, I, I, he's, that, he's, he's, he's I, more hardcore than Keith Richards. Everyone's like Keith Richards with the drugs. and you know. I he, read Keith's book Keith's also, book. Yeah. of course, because that's part of my library. He seemed like – he said like basically – you know, he, I think he has a drink every now and again. But like since basically from 1980 on, he's been clean. But like the publicity, he got, publicity that he got – when he was doing heroin and getting arrested and everything, like he was never able to shake that. But he talked about like the way he did Coke. He goes, you don't sit there and just keep doing it. He's like, you do a bump and then you get on with the party or whatever, you know, right. and you, you don't get so fucking high. You got to keep doing it. He seemed like a really like in control kind of uh user anyways. You know what I mean? He didn't like, I mean, as a comedian, my, all the reference is always like, you know, when the nuclear Holocaust comes, you know, Cockroaches and Keith Richards are right, the only yeah. people. He's going to be shooting heroin into his eye, and he did, I just kept hearing that, and I thought that that's how the guy was, and I guess he wasn't at all. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he had like a good fifteen-year run from like sixty-five to eighty, where he was just you know did progressively a lot of heroin and drinking into, and coke yeah. and stuff like that. But then he stopped, so he's not really that. But I mean, Lemmy's been doing it since you know nineteen seventy. That's unreal. And well, just, considering also that Betty Ford Clinic didn't come around to like what the mid seventies, even probably eighties, eighty, yeah. 80s, yeah. So like nobody really knew. Like that first, you know, wave of people, the the Elvises and them, you know, just people not knowing that somebody has a problem and they need like an intervention. I mean, if if you were getting high from sixty five to eighty and you figured out in eighty, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think, dude, I, I got a problem with that shit, man. Like the level that I like to drink. I'm not an alcoholic, but like. You know that stupid joke? I'm not an alcoholic, but I drink like one. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't do Lemmy level of drinking, but like, um, I've, I've, I haven't drank in like a month, just took a month off. And, uh, 
I don't get like that. Like, oh wow, everything's awesome, and and it just makes me want to. Every day, it's like I'm adding to the equation of how much I want to drink. Like after a week, it's like ah, I'd love like fucking four beers, and then the second week, God, I'd love a twelve pack. And now it's just like I want to drink like Lemmy for like like I have to drink like that, and then realize oh you can't do that. Then I stop. Then you stop. I yeah. go like cold turkey, but I'm not like fiending for it. I just fucking like it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I, I was never one of those to, like, my grandparents always had, like, a drink at the end of the night. You know, I'm like, ah, I'm like, as a comic, we never did that. We're like, ah, you just go to fucking Thank bed. Thank God like, you guys didn't, because I would have. If you guys did, I would have. Yeah, I never did. Especially, if, like, if I'm on the road or about to fucking Fort Lauderdale for three or four days, yeah, I'll have some beers after the show, maybe a couple right. of shots. But, you know, when you're home doing comedy sets in New York, I'm like, no, nah, I, I would never even think about having a beer. Yeah. Or anything, thank God. But now, as I get older, I'm like, yeah, I have a glass of wine, have a couple, but I don't go that far. I never, that was never my, uh, I never had that problem with the alcohol. I always just wanted to get a little buzz on, just so I can rap with chicks, right? Because I had no, I was shy, right? So if I had a little buzz on, I'd fucking have some balls to go up to and say. <laughs> so that was my whole thing. That's really why I started drinking. That's why I never get into drugs. I'd see my bu- buddies doing coke. On Friday night, we we waiting to go out to the club, and they would do coke, and they would just fucking just spend three hundred bucks and just fucking want to talk all night. I'm like, let me just have fucking a six pack and let's go to the bar. Yeah, it's like a rap with chicks. What are you guys doing? <laughs> You're not solving anything over there. <laughs> fucking talking about American Indians. Who gives a fuck? You know, somebody told me a story about Patrice recently. I never I never heard this one. Was about he was talking to his mom about trying weed. He tried it a couple of times. And right. was like, and then, you know, tried it, got high, and then just got the munchies and ate. And he told his mom, he was just like, look, I'm just going to fucking save the money that I would have spent on weed and just go buy the food. Just fucking get right to that. <laughs> and it was just such classic Patrice where he was always analyzing and breaking shit down that he didn't have to go through fucking 20 years. Like, dude, I got I have some friends you know, in this business and outside of this business who have been regular users, like fucking getting a bag of weed every fucking week since we've been like 15, right through getting married and having kids. And um, I mean, I guess it's all right if it doesn't get in the way of uh, your life. But, you know, I got a couple guys where it's just, I don't know. At some point, like, I feel like a fucking... The thing with like booze is you can fool yourself by sitting there drinking like uh, you know if you're sitting like in a parking lot you know shotgunning beers right it's pretty obvious that you know you're too old to be doing this but you put on a sport coat and you had a whiskey bar all of a sudden you feel like there's this sophistication to what you're doing it's like no dude you're getting loaded you did this outside the Worcester Centrum before fucking Judas Priest concert you're still doing it yeah it's and- just you're putting scotch in a glass now instead of drinking fucking beer out of a can in the parking lot you know. Yeah. You're trying to class it up a little. I never drank wine. I'm like, wine's for fucking pussies. Wine. Right. I'd see my friend, what the fuck you drinking wine? No, it's good, man. It's nice and mellow. I'm like, fuck, what a fucking queer you are. Yeah. And now in like the last five years, I'm like, oh, I fuck, I've been to wine country twice. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm always I trying, I want I to hate, try this bottle. I hate that I like it. It's a horrific hangover, but I hate that I like it because to me, Wine was was something that rich people did, or, or, and then it was like the soccer mom thing. Like, there's so many soccer moms out there. Like, their running joke is is if it's after four o'clock or after five o'clock, you don't have a drinking problem if you sit down and have right. that glass of wine. But from what I've heard, you know, having kids and that type of shit, you need a couple of shots. You do at the end of the day, but you drink if you drink, you know, find some good wine, you won't get a hangover. I like uh, uh, Barolo. 
my uh, my girl's a big wine wine connoisseur, and she knows she was buying like fifteen bottle, twenty dollar bottles, and I was getting headaches. I go fucking up at the forty a bottle, and then it's fine. You don't get headaches at all. So it's right. not. It doesn't have to be a hundred dollar bottle, but yeah, no wines. Wines good. Now I love it. I'm like, this is fucking great. It's nice and mellow. And shit, yeah. you have with a meal. And I get a little buzz, man. It's like I get a little buzz on like a glass and a half. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. It used to take me like 15 beers. Yeah. And now, you know what's weird? I'm drinking fucking, I'm drinking fag beers now, I call them. All the micro brews and stuff. And I was never in that. I was like, fucking, what are you, fag? Yeah. Drinking, what the fuck? <laughs> ale, it tastes like, oh, just give me a fucking Coors Light. Give me a Bud. Right. Stop with this shit. And my, my, my girl and her whole family drinks all those. And I used to make fun of them, like the fucking fag beers. Right. No, can I, can I, I want a Coors Light. <laughs> I want a Bud Light. I'm not drinking a fucking fag beer. Right. I don't want a wheat, ale, summer. Fuck you. Right. And now um, that's Cherry all I drink. Wheat. Is that right? Yeah. I, 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 I go to the micro brews just because I feel like I'm sticking it to the man. But then I'm like, who is the man? The guy who makes Budweiser? I love that guy. Like, I'm actually upset that Coors Light, for the first time ever, outsold Budweiser. So technically Budweiser isn't the king of American beers right now. So yeah. I've been ordering more Budweiser, trying to help them get up and over the bar lately. You know what I mean? Yeah, to, but to, I'm to telling re- you, man. retain those, their title. Those microbrews and all that other shit, those wheat, the ales and stuff, they don't give you hangovers. If you, I mean, if you have eight really? or ten. They, yeah. Because it's, it's pure. And I, I never bought that shit. I'm like, whatever. And like, I'm t- it's, you know, it's just better for you. And it I, just, I thought the hangover just came from fucking, you know, you get dehydrated with all the alcohol. Well, that could too. But just, you know, especially the light beers, they're doing something to it to make it light. It's not fucking natural. This is such a classic fucking like barroom. Like none of us know. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. I know. We about. don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's like the alcohol takes out, uh, you know. Yeah, the light. It, they go, so don't. Pure. That's processed. You fucking drink this. Some guy was screaming at me. What the fuck are you getting the light for? You know what's the hardest thing when you're dry to watch is those fucking Sam Adams commercials. Like they, they have to be responsible for so many people losing their sobriety. When they sit there and they're fucking snorting the hops like goddamn Tony Montana. They got one <laughs> recently. The guy literally jumps into the beer. He's like swimming in beer. Really? And like when you're not – like when I'm drinking, I don't even notice those commercials. But when I'm not drinking and I fucking see that, like I actually get angry at the people at Sam Adams. Like would you – like I, I don't know who, who, who came up with that, but they're making it so fucking appealing right. that uh, – I don't know. They, they, they annoy the shit out of me, but we're, we're running out of time here. We only got like uh, – I mean I guess I can go as long as I want, but I don't want to fucking uh, – I, I, I go by the uh, the old showbiz adage of leaving them wanting more. Yeah, absolutely. But um, That's why my podcast is like 18 minutes, 23. Dude, I fucking love your podcast. <laughs> really? Oh, me and Paul Verzi are like – Paul Verzi does a great – he does a great Florentine. Really? I'm telling you. It's, it's – uh, he got me – He's the one who told me that you were doing because I didn't know you were doing it. He's like, dude, he's like, you got to listen to Florentine's podcast. Oh, by the way, hype your podcast. What? Uh, where can people get it's, it? It's on iTunes. It's Comedy Metal Midgets. It's called Jim Florentine Comedy Metal Comedy Midgets. Metal and Midgets. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's on my website, jimflorentine.com. Oh, I'm trying to think of how, how he, he does the impressions of, uh, what are you kidding me? It's garbage. <laughs> it's a joke. It's fucking fucking joke. awful. It's fucking joke. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Some guy uh, tweeted me a day. He goes, dude, you sound so miserable when you start your podcast off. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm fucking, yeah, I'm fucking sitting in my office by myself and something fucking bothers me. I go, I'm going to do a podcast about it. I'm fucking, I'm, yeah, I'm angry. How do you think, I know you're a big Miami Dolphins fan from knowing you all these year, years. How do you think they're going to be? Uh... I think they could be pretty good. You know, they got new coaches in there. They got fucking old man Parcells out of there with his fucking ancient 1980s. Let's get some big bodies on the def- defensive offensive line. 
line right. to stuff to run. Yeah, meanwhile, it's been a passing league for the last 15 years, you fat asshole. <laughs> So thank God he's gone, that fucking overrated piece of shit. And, you know, they got a new guy in there. He used to run the Green Bay offense. And they got that Tannehill guy, a rookie quarterback. And they got a couple of veterans. I'm, I'm psyched. We'll see. I mean, look, yeah. they might go 10 and 6, 9 and good, 7 man. probably. But, you know, New England's a fucking monster. They're always going to be. Yeah, Belichick we, and Brady, man. Yeah, we got lucky going to the Super Bowl. Uh, Peyton was out. And, and, and the Ravens beat us. They just fucking choked. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, 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 you know, and the Patriots in Miami's division, I got no problem with them because that's a well-coached team. And they just fucking they go for the kill. They don't sit on leads right. when they're up 27-3. They're still throwing bombs. I love right. that. Well, I know what you're going through as a fan because um, I had to deal with fucking Dan Marino. Like, I just was... He just was unbelievable. Like to me, that guy is the best quarterback I've. Like he's he's the guy that I saw go from the college to the pro level and make it look effortless. Peyton Manning's the, the a close second. Yeah, but um, you know everybody. All these guys fucking breaking Dan Marino's records now. It's because of all the rules changes that they have. Marino, I, I always joke that Marino would throw for fifty five hundred, six thousand yards. Dude, he had nobody. He had no running game. One of the one of the things that that uh, I always talk about on this podcast is the fact that people give him shit that you know he didn't win a Super Bowl, and it's like the, the guy had no fucking defense. You guys had like two white cornerbacks at one point. Oh yeah, we had the Blackwood brothers, Blackwood brothers, Kyle and yeah, Lyle, yeah, or something. Lyle, yeah, yeah, the brutal. Yeah, was, there was like nine white guys on defense and AJ two black guys. Dewey, Kuchenberg. Yeah. Yeah, Doug Betters and all this shit. You know what? It, Marino was telling me a story because I became friends with him because I worked on Inside the NFL with him. And he's like my ultimate idol. He's the fucking wow. greatest dude ever, Marino. He was telling they had this coordinator, defense coordinator, Tom Olivadotti, who was the biggest piece of shit. Mm-hmm. He'd fucking rush three old white guys. And they would just keep. That's why Ken O'Brien was a fucking genius against the, against Miami. Only against yeah. Miami, the guy was unbelievable. He'd rush three old white guys, and they just leave another guy in the block. So it was six against three. The quarterback had a you know all the time in the world. So, so anyway, he said before the San Francisco Dolphin uh, Super Bowl, the Forty Nine ers Dolphins, Oliver Dotti in the team meeting for the defense Saturday night before the Super Bowl told him, look. I don't know what we we can't stop this team. I don't know what to tell you. I got no plan. And Marino heard that. He goes, dude. He goes, just he, he took him aside. He goes, lie to him. He goes, fucking lie to him and just say we could we, yeah. we got a plan. He goes, I would do that to my offensive line all the time. You he coming back in the huddle? You could block Bruce Smith. No, I can't. You can. He's a fucking pussy. You can block him. <laughs> just fucking get him on his knees. Because I knew he couldn't, but I gave the guy encouragement. Yeah. He goes, another, another thing. Dan Marino had he had no running backs. He like. Delvin Williams, Tony Nathan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Sammy Smith. He had nobody. He had one guy. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar gained 1,200 yards one season. He only had one running back rush for 1,000 yards in a 17-year career. Right. And then he also had he had Don Shula, who the game had passed him by. Yep. Um, and then who did he have? Jimmy Johnson. Then Jimmy Johnson. In. Jimmy Johnson seemed like he wanted him out the door the second he got Jimmy there. Jimmy Johnson hated him. Right. Mario told me a great story real quick. He said um, – that's you know. No, no, we're gonna go long. If you, he if you, hated, if you fucking know Dan Marino, we're going long. He hated long Jimmy here. Johnson. Jimmy Johnson yeah. was a dick to him, and it's a, there was no reason for it. He goes, I bought into his plan, but he. So anyway, he said that one time. He goes, you know, Coach Shula. Shula was a coach. He goes, I, I'll tell you. He goes, Shula had a dog named Zonka. A fucking bulldog named Zonka. That's a fucking coach. He goes, Jimmy Johnson had a little fucking Yorkie that he would bring on the on the team planes. He goes, we're we're trying to play Buffalo in the championship game, and he's in he's in the first seat in the fucking plane, f- petting Fluffy. He goes, how am I gonna fucking win with a coach? 
bitch that brings a fucking <laughs> six-pound Yorkie named Fluffy, and he's fucking got on his lap fucking petting the thing when Coach Shula's got Zonka. That's a uh, coach. Did, did he ever talk about uh, getting annoyed with people talking about him not winning a Super Bowl? You know, he, um, not really. He just said, look, you know what? It's a team game. What am I going to do? You know, you try and that's all you could do. But he he, he said everyone brings up the fake spike play. He goes, you yep. know, because he works out of New York on CBS. He's always in New York. And he's like, right. all these Jet fans go to Dan. You know, I, I hated you back then, but I, I do like. But that fake spike, you killed us. You know, and he's just he goes, I just tell him, get over it. Just get over it already. All right. It was freaking <laughs> 1991. Get over no, it. When he did that, what did that do to them? Did it knock them out it of the not, playoffs? They were, in, they were eight and five at that time the jets they were going they were on a roll they won like six straight and marino did the fake spike and they didn't win another game the rest of the year they went eight and eight and then they went one and 15 and actually they went two and 32 after that game what is with fucking new york and boston i don't know if anybody else does it they're always into like the the that old lady curse jinx like you didn't win another fucking game after that because you sucked Absolutely. That's why. Because you didn't fucking, you weren't ready to play. Not because he, you, like that whole curse of the babe horse shit. Yeah. I, it completely ignores that the ownership of the Red Sox were like, you know, they could have started the clan with some of their fucking ideas. And like the whole game changed once Jackie Robinson went in. They completely fucking ignored it. And then also, let's say that even if they weren't racist, like what the Yankees did going from. You know, I mean, they got Babe Ruth, uh, they bought him, but they, they got Lou Gehrig to Joe DiMaggio to Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. That's like, it's like going Jordan to Jordan to Jordan. One fucking franchise did that. And that was the real deal back then when you had to spot talent and they came up through your system. Yeah. And it's just like, y- you're never going to see that again. Like, especially now, like I'm, I'm not a big fan of these, like these pylon teams. I thought it was really weird that Miami got like the shit that they did. And it's like, why doesn't anybody shit on the Lakers? Like, they do just basically every fucking year what, what my team, the Celtics, did in 2008. We right. bought that title. Yeah. You know? But the Lakers do it every fucking year. And, and, and they're like, Kobe's got five championships, one more. Uh, you know, he equals Jordan. It's like, dude, Jordan had Luke Longley and fucking – my listeners are like, Bill, we've heard this a zillion times. Go fuck yourselves. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Luke Longley and fucking uh, Bill Cartwright at center. And the right. only the only big guy that I remember them signing was fucking Dennis Rodman. Yeah, Rodman they got from Detroit. Yeah, and they had him during his last three productive fucking years. But like uh, uh, Scotty Pippen, that was the, his guy. That's what they had: blonde hair dude and BJ fucking Armstrong. Give me a break. Yeah, well, you're right. Absolutely. I, um... I don't. Know, I, but also, in, in respect for my listeners, my hatred of the Lakers is so fucking blinding that it really kills any sort of rational thoughts. Having said that, I love Kobe. I love his mentality. I love when he, he doesn't win a championship and he doesn't just go water skiing right after he loses. He fucking goes right into the front office and is like, what the fuck? Yeah, get me right. some guys. Like, I mean, that I wish everybody would do that. No, absolutely. I hate when they fucking smile after they just lost a game. Oh, and they start hugging it out. Yeah, they start hugging and shit like that. Yeah. After, hey, how's it going? You just lost at the last second in a fucking field goal, a 47-yarder, and then you're smiling two seconds yeah, later. Yeah, somebody's patting him on the head. Do, like we, the- do we do that as comics if we have a bad set and fucking fuck? Do we, are we like, hey, yeah, 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 let's go have a fuck. Yeah, I'm going to go out and sell CDs. Hey, what's that? was fucking great. Yeah. I fucking stay in the back. I'm miserable. Absolutely not. 
Well, let me ask you this last thing. I got to have you on again, though. I would love okay? to. Absolutely. If every guest could be as effortless. I'm telling you. No, I, I appreciate uh, it. You, you Dom Irera is another one. Just fucking sat down here. We just we came into the house, shot the shit upstairs, came down here, turned on the mic, shot the shit, turned it off, walked upstairs. It just it was seamless. Um, but I was going to ask you, like, this new thing that hopefully it's just a fucking little blip. Actually, it already feels old to talk about. It's this new thing where people will film a comedian at a fucking comedy club, and then you put it up, and you have to apologize for a fucking joke. Is that the, is that the most insane fucking thing? It's fuck. It's 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 brutal. It is just fucking the big biggest bunch of fucking pussies. Well, you know what I love is is every joke that they've done it. The crowd in the club is laughing. Yeah, and then they go. It sparked outrage. It's like where. Yeah, they're tattletalers. They're fucking little fucking. Oh, I'm gonna tell you did. I I was saying. I go basically. They're coming to our work and filming us at a moment that they think we're doing something wrong, and then right. giving it to the boss, which is our audience or the public, and going, "Hey, do something about this. Look what they did." Yeah, that's I, like I, imagine. I said, imagine if we go into someone's work tomorrow and the guy's smoking pot at, at fucking lunchtime, or he's looking at porn on his computer when he's supposed to doing his fucking pay, whatever, you right. know, doing his fucking spreadsheet, and we go and we film and go to the boss. Look, he was looking at porn. Look, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> but Fuck even you. then, even then, I don't think that's a fair comparison because trying out new material is is not smoking weed at work. He's you're doing what you're supposed to be yeah, doing, and some of the best bits come out of of doing something edgy. And there is a style. There's shock comedy. There's dark comedy. There's all that type of stuff. And for you to just fucking sit there and act like you hired this guy to to, to look at people are here at my fucking opinions. Let me. I'm sorry. I, no, get all, I, was just, I said, imagine if Red Fox, and you know, with Sanford and Sundays, he was a filthy comic. I mean, disgusting on stage. Imagine if people were fil- were recording him and going, hey, look, listen to this. He wouldn't have had a show. His show would have been off the air. I know. He's talking about eating some girl's asshole, you know, and when no one talked about that in the fucking early 70s. But I don't think people care about it would be if he uh, said something about the president or if he said like this, um, like that whole Dane Cook joke, the he was basically letting people know that this edition of Batman isn't as good as the other one. That's the way I looked at it, too. That, that's what I got out of yeah, it. Yeah, he just said it's a shitty movie. Yeah, and then so, people get out. Yeah, he's advocating. He isn't. He isn't. Such a, just, I just stay out of the clubs. I Do you know, you know the uh, wrestling, the WWE had to apologize? I saw what did because they, they made a joke about what? It was such a fucking great joke. This manager is is talking shit to the crowd about you know the, the wrestler that he's managing. And he's going, you know, so-and-so, whatever the guy's name is. He goes, he's like Kobe Bryant in a Colorado hotel room. Unstoppable, right? It was, right. And he yeah, delivered it big. It's funny. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he, not only did he have to apologize, he had to apologize to somebody, a specific person who wasn't Kobe or the girl. Right. I was Mike something or other. I, I remember, you know, reading and passing. But it's like, it's getting to the point of like, it's sort of a, like uh, – it's ridiculous, but I, I look at it like it kind of scares me because it seems like uh, if, if allowed, it's the beginning of like you're going to like start censoring people. They, they, they say in the beginning, don't film the comedians. And that's another thing too. None of these comics uploaded that shit to try to uh, reach – Anybody else other than who the fuck they were performing to, you know? Absolutely. And you know what? I mean, it, someone made a good point. My friend was saying, he goes, you know what? I mean, basically what they're doing is they're, it's illegal. They're illegally recording you. Right. you have to, in most states, you have to have permission to record somebody. So they're basically doing is, is doing is illegal by secretly tape recording us. Right. 
you know. Comedy clubs need to, what they have to do is they have to fucking leave everybody's phones and cell phones at the fucking, at the bar before they walk in the room. Oh, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that because they, they want to turn over the crowd quicker. They don't give a fuck. I know. It's too bad. Someone that considered, considers it art should do that. Go, look, you're leaving your fucking phones and any records. Put them here. Put them in a But I, I do notice, though, the only people that they ask to apologize are people who have, like, hit TV shows. You know what well, I mean? That's true. Absolutely. So, so I think uh, I think I'm safe. I don't know about you. You, I don't know, to- you know, it's VH1 Classic. It's like a basic cable. It's only in four, <laughs> it's like the NFL network. We're only in 40 percent of homes. Dude, you know what? I actually think I think that they weigh that in, into consideration. Those groups where they sit there and they go, OK, how big is Jim Florentine? How big is Bill? How big is about oh, this guy? Oh, this guy's got like, you know, whatever. Like, well, remember when Corolla made fun of like transgender people or whatever he goes i don't know what the hell they are whatever his joke was he did it on his podcast and they tried to go right. after him they go what are they going to take away his podcast it's his own podcast right he's got like dot coms you know like fucking advertise or whatever they're not he doesn't have oh so, and he, so he didn't they apologize do, no he didn't apologize because they couldn't do anything that's perfect he's got his own network what is he what are they going to do they tried that's perfect he didn't say one word fuck you that's perfect i know see that's how i look at it see that's, that's my thing why 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 do you want to go to the next level where all of a sudden you have to start apologizing for trying out material. You know, I get, this is the deal. If I was sick of doing the road, I would, I, I would be uh, more apt to want to go that, that other road. But like I don't know, I don't know. This is this is supposed to be about you. I'm sitting here fucking no, no, psych- no, psychoanalyzing. No, it it's about comics. No, I, I hate it. It's it's the worst thing that can happen to comedy. It's the yeah, worst it, thing because people aren't going to want to take chances. Well, I, I just look at it. Look, if you there, they, there is the style of comedy that those people who get offended are looking for exists out there. Okay, you didn't go to that show. You know, you didn't have to click on it. You didn't have to listen to it. You chose to listen to the fucking thing. And the guy who said it didn't choose to film it and upload it. Somebody else did. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm talking I, in circles here. My mom is seventy four years old. She's super religious. Right. She just watches like Touched by an Angel all day. <laughs> She's been to two of my shows in 20 years. She's been to two of my comedy shows. Right. So I wanted to invite her like six months ago. Mom, come to us. She goes, no, I don't like the words that come out of your mouth. You're going to make me uncomfortable. I go, look, I'm going to be clean tonight because I was working on a clean set. Right. And you know what she said? She goes, yeah, but I don't know about the other acts on the show. I don't know what they're going to say, so I'm going to stay home. That's f- How does a 74-year-old woman get it, but yeah. nobody else does? I don't know what the other acts are going to say, so I'm going to stay home. Right. It makes that choice. She didn't want to go into that situation. But like, ha- had she gone down there, she knows what she's getting herself into. Exactly. Then she goes, well, I made that choice. Choice the to go down there. Yeah. filthy, even though my son wasn't, but I went to a show. How does she get it? Right. Does that bother you that she's only come out twice? No, no, not at all. Because cool. I feel uncomfortable with her in the audience. <laughs> I said well, penis how, on how, TV how, one time. I did George Lopez. I did stand up on it. I said penis in my act, and she's like, "How? I I can't believe you embarrassed the family. You have nieces. What? They saw that. What do you? I go, Mom. If I start th- r- thinking about my fucking ten year old niece when I'm writing jokes, my career's over. Now, how did you with, with the mom as religious as that? We do. Did you rebel against uh, it? Uh, Brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah, brutal. Yeah. How bad? Did she make you dress in like super well, tight? Yeah, all the boy, school? all that stuff. And, you know, sign me up for that. Catholic schools my whole life, you know, put in them from. Oh, you my know, God. Oh, yeah. From, you know, uh, kindergarten, basically. Now, at what point would, would, did, were you uh, deciding that this wasn't the road for you? Was it what the priests were saying or, or like what? 
Well, you, you, probably after like the third grade, because all my friends were in public school, and I wanted to hang out with them. Right. And I was hanging, you know, and I just hated it right off the bat. And they were like, "No, it's a better education." I'm like, "How? How is it? I got a fucking priest teaching me math. He doesn't know about <laughs> fucking math. A nun is teaching me fucking English. You know, yeah, that's a better education." Right. You know, even in high school, my fucking... So wait, you, you went all the way through to senior all, year? Yeah, through senior year. Wow. Yeah. I got thrown out of uh, two, two schools for being out of control. And what was out of, what was, what was out of control? Well, I, like, they had these... They, they were bragging, you know, they make the announcements in the morning. Oh, you know, whatever, you know, so you have to say a prayer and all that shit. So they said, they, oh, we just bought these wrestling mats. We spent a lot of money on them for a gym class, so please take care of them. So... Fucking my next gym class later that day, I fucking cut them up with razor blades. It was like fucking three thousand dollars worth of wrestling mats, and I cut the fucking stage curtains too. Why? I don't know. Just because they said take care of them. Because it just nope. annoyed. Yeah, really take care of them. Be, you know, okay, fine. I'm going to cut them up with razor blades. And how did you get caught? Well, they, they they didn't know it was me. They knew it was from a, from our class because we were like the last class of the day, like eighth period or whatever. So they knew it was somebody in our class, and it was only me and two other fucking derelicts in the class. So they narrowed it down to us three, and they had us in the office every day. We know you did it. They'd punch me in the face, smack me, pull my hair, stare at the wall really? for eight hours. Physical? Yeah, and I'm like, okay, fine. I would stare at the wall. I wouldn't admit it. I had to fucking swear on a Bible. My mom took me to a, our local priest, and she goes, I want you to swear on a Bible. You didn't do this. And I swear on a Bible. I go, no, I didn't do it. Yeah, which is hilarious if you don't believe in this shit. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, I'll fucking be yeah, put me up. <laughs> Give me a whole stack of them. Yeah, whatever book. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Put Slash's book. I'll swear on that, too. (laughs) (laughs) So did you start partying and that stuff? Uh, Uh, You started getting into the weed and and drinking, probably like 14 or 15. I was good in sports, like baseball. I was on um, the freshman team. I was playing on uh, the soft. I played on the... uh, the varsity team as a freshman, but then like sophomore year, I started getting into friggin' You drinking. played varsity as a freshman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was a lefty pitcher. I was really good at some point. I was a good hitter too. I played first base, but then I just started drinking and getting into smoking pot and cigarettes right. sophomore year. And I would, that was it. So did you, did your mom, did she, know my you, dad was pissed. Did your mom know you were doing any of that stuff? Not really. Cause I had older brothers. They were kind of like, you know, that, that's why I started Cover getting the metal. You. They would bring them to concerts at 14. I saw fucking ACDC with Bon Scott. As no, a twelve-year-old kid. Fuck you. Yeah. Was that the Power Age tour? No, it was uh, it was Highway to Hell. Jesus Christ! I saw him open for Ted Nugent at Madison Square Garden, and I saw him uh, uh, ACDC, and I forget who else. I think it was Def Leppard, maybe with Whip on like two times before he died. Because my brothers would bring me. I was twelve, and they were like eighteen, and like, oh, we want to bring him. So I saw all these shows. Holy it was fucking shit! Insane. So you would go from Catholic school to then going down to one of those goddamn shows at twelve. Yeah. Partying with your older brothers? Yeah, they would like, get me high. Absolutely, yeah. Dude, you had a fucking awesome childhood. No, it was great. I mean, I was, I was angry because <laughs> I was fucking stuck in Catholic school and shit like that. But yeah, I, uh, but no, it was great. Absolutely, man. My older brothers would bring home my albums. Like, oh, look, 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 this Black Sabbath and his Ted Nugent and Aerosmith. I'm like, oh, it's just fucking great. That's awesome. My younger brothers got that out of me. I was second oldest, so they, uh, you know, I didn't know shit. Like, my first album was... Uh, Mitch Miller sing along with Mitch and the Gang. Okay, right, you shouldn't yeah. even know who they are. They literally, no, I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, they're like polka. Yeah, won't you come home, Bill Bailey? Like that yeah. type of shit. And then I got Aerosmith's greatest hits was my first foray into like fucking real music. But my first concert was uh, uh, Doc and Judas Priest. Nice. No. Oh yeah, no. What? Yeah, that's right. I was. I thought it was Loudness. It was Doc and Judas Priest. Loudness opened up for ACDC on the Who Made Who tour that Japanese heavy metal band. 
Um, They're still around. Are they really? Yeah, we were going to have the guitar player play on our show, but he had a can- he couldn't get a visa. Have you gone out to go see any any of uh, bands from like th- that aren't like huge, like the Metallicas, the ACDCs that are still playing arenas? Like I'll go out to Vegas every once in a while uh, doing a gig out there, and I'll see like Slaughter's playing with like fucking Warren, a couple other guys. Have you gone out to any of those shows? I just saw Sebastian Bach last night at Nokia. Oh, you did? There. Yeah, yeah. I, is, how was it? It was great, man. Yeah. He, still, he still can sing. He's got a good band behind him and stuff. So, yeah, I always go see shows. Now, is he going to get together uh, with Skid Row? He wants to. There's one guy in the band that doesn't want to do it. The only other guy I can remember, Rob Afuso was yeah, the drummer? Yeah, he was the drummer, yeah. Rachel Bolin is the bass player. Snake something or Snake Sabo, guitar player. So who doesn't want to do it? I think Rachel, the bass player, he, he, he hates Sebastian so much that he won't do it. And they got offers of like 100 grand to do festivals overseas. They could do So fest- what, what kind of money does that dude have, Rachel? I don't know. I get, he gets to publish it on those first couple records, you know, Youth Gone Wild, I Remember You. Every but time. I would think that that would be trickling down now. The kids are just down, like, It is, but they still played fun. at the sports stadiums and shit like that. I guess he's got money coming in. We were watching me and my buddy Eddie last night every time because right. Seb- Sebastian filmed it for a TV show last night or something. So every time he played a uh, Skid Row song, we're like, oh, Rachel can buy another house because <laughs> he has to pay for that. It goes to him. Anytime Sebastian does anything on TV or puts a DVD out of those songs because Sebastian write those songs. So it goes Rachel to- did? Rachel and Snake wrote those songs. I love that his name is Rachel. Yeah, I know. Why is it Rachel? I don't know. Rachel Bolin. I'm not is sure. Is he from Europe or something? No, he's Jersey. <laughs> Jersey white trash like me. <laughs> All right, what do we got here? We're an hour and 20 minutes in, and it just keeps getting more interesting. We got to do a part two at some point. We'll do it, yeah, next time in L.A. Yeah, when are you going to come out? I come back out in October. I'll be back out. I was thinking the last time I think I saw you in L.A., I ran into you at the the forum for that ACDC concert, remember? One of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, we caught it early, and Brian's fucking voice sounded great. (sighs) Fucking killer. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. Jim Florentine, your website is? JimFlorentine.com on You're... Twitter, Mr. Jim Florentine, and uh, my podcast, Comedy Metal Midgets, on iTunes. And when can we see uh, the next editions of? Uh... New season of that metal show starts August 11th. On VH1 Classic? VH1 Classic, yeah. Okay, August 11th is coming up. All right, Jim, thank you so much for coming by the podcast. Thanks, Bill. All right. Um, Amazon.com, you guys know the deal. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, not saying you got to. Go to BillBird.com, click on the podcast page, and click on the banner ad on the right-hand side, the Amazon banner ad on the right-hand side. You go to Amazon, go ahead and buy something. It doesn't cost you any extra money. They kick me a percentage, 10% of that. I give to the Wounded Warriors Project. You help support my podcast and uh, the troops who made an unbelievable sacrifice for us. All right? And Gamefly.com. Wouldn't you love to have 8,000 video games at your fingertips? Sure, we all would. Um, all the new hits mailed to your home. So if you're sick of paying $65 for the newest games that you or your kids use for a week and then give, then give Gamefly a shot. Gamefly is offering my listeners a free two disc, 15 day trial, $23 value. Go to www.gamefly.com or the Gamefly banner on the, on my podcast page of the website to redeem the offer. There you go.